Losers. Welcome to another episode of Loss of Lieutenant, and I'm your host on tonight's show. Uh, my name is Val, and with me I've got a guest host, Nick, but not the Nick you're thinking. This is uh, our fellow um, Melbourneian, uh, Nick. Uh, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hello, I'm Nick. I'm the guy that Val doxed from the the previous BCV and the tournament after that. I tried actually very hard not to dox you just then. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, how do I differentiate Nick? I'm like, oh, he's from Melbourne. Uh, yeah, it was actually, it was pretty funny. I didn't even think about that. But yes, uh, welcome, Nick. Uh, so just to give some context on tonight's episode, guys, we'll be talking about the recent quarterly challenge where we uh, invited you guys to make a whole bunch of missions uh, for us, some custom missions for us to then coordinate with Heloise and uh, Corvus Belly and see if maybe they want to take any of them up for ITS in the future or just also and also just to see what kind of creative ideas people can come up with and how they can shake up the formula and Nick's been really kind to volunteer a lot of his time in helping us compile edit and yeah kind of critique some of these missions so thank you for that Nick how have you found the process uh I enjoyed it uh there's a lot of good new mechanics in these uh, there's many that I think need only minor tweaks that they could be ITS missions. And we've also got a fair share of good narrative missions that we could put in to a narrative event later on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was really impressed by the some of the missions uh, that people came up with. Um, there's been some, some really out there ones, which are the ones kind of more to my taste. And then there's been a couple of very, very well, very well crafted ITS-esque which um, I think I think you and Kevin were more of a fan. Yes, yeah. When we got to getting together to judge these, uh, we had not unified judging criteria, and Val and I had some very different judging criteria. So this should be fun discussing. No, absolutely. No, no. That's that's that is very much the truth of the matter. Um, I was very much for Rob's mission, and hopefully we can get to that and uh, discuss that mission because that is wild. But before yes. we do any of that, we'll do some news announcements. We'll talk about recent games and hobbies. And what I might do, I might just throw some questions at you just so the listeners get uh, an idea of who you are and uh, what's brought you to Infinity and what you were doing before that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, but first of all, the news. Uh, I think the bit main news that we've seen recently is the studio update that we had on uh, release by Corvus Belly. Um, so basically, there was Bostra, it was about 11 minute video, and they talked about uh, three main things so Aristea, uh, the Korean reinforcements for Eugene, and then the Cascuda uh, fighting Maximus on the Ensong book. So, have you have you, you got some snippets through the chats and stuff like that? Did you anything stand out to you, Nick? Yes. Uh, I'm pretty excited that Hawk Islam is getting a Papakalki um, reinforcements. Yes. Because that, that sectoral, it's definitely interested me, but it was out of production for years before I got back into Infinity. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, QK. So I think, yeah, I'm not sure what if it means that the faction's kind of been retired a little bit and disbanded into more reinforcement. I don't even know what reinforcements really means yet. I don't think anybody does just yet. What do you, you have any speculations? That's, You've been playing more games for a while. What do you think they could do with the reinforcement thing? I think it's going to be a small force that accompanies yours. I don't know how it's going to work, yeah. but I would suspect that it will <clears throat> it's either going to work like mercenaries or it's going to work like uh, a like a second army list. Do you think maybe a sideboard? Oh. Do you think it could be like a sideboard to adjust depending on your matchup? Oh, that's possible. 
I'm not sure. I was looking for the perspective that maybe you've got your 10 order main list and a five order uh, reinforcements list. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That that that's probably that that makes uh, that that probably makes more sense to be honest. Uh, than my 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 perception. My perception was maybe a sideboard of reinforcement troops. Mm-hmm. So then you go. So when you make a tournament list, uh, you go to a tournament. You make two lists, and you have a fifty point sideboard of reinforcements or something, or a hundred points or whatever they give you, right? And then depending mm-hmm. on matchup, you can make adjustments on the fly. That sounds probably too complicated. Uh, if I'm honest, so it's probably given yeah. how nuanced infinity points are. Yeah, I think that might be a little tough to do quick slot in, slot out. Yeah, and how do you track that for tournament organizers? Yeah, that's probably yeah, it's probably not it. So yeah, oh. so, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, what about Aristea? Have you ever played Aristea, Nick? I have not. You are missing out. But um, so what they mentioned in the studio update probably doesn't mean much to you, but effectively they're fading Aristea out a little bit uh, intentionally. They've got a 60% off sale from our, on their Aristea product at the moment, but they're assuring us that it's going to come back in a big way. Uh, so they've got big plans for it because they – because I don't know if you know, but basically it's a – it's one of their proudest creations. First of all, that's what they say. Uh, it's one of the best game mechanics that they've made, arguably with Infinity. Um, it's actually the, also the uh, engine behind uh, was Defines and now Warcrow, like some of the, the dice mechanics and switch mechanics and some of the mechanics that they create in Aristea. So I'm interested in what they do with it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the other thing that they mentioned in the studio update. I'm not sure what uh, other people think. Yeah, I've never played it. Uh... It looked interesting, but at the point that it looked interesting, it was not readily available. And how many people are playing? So I'm looking forward to this possibly being a re-release of it. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. I, th- I think so. A new point right. to get into. I think into they're going to be re-releasing it with a different name. They're going to rebrand it just because Aristea just. I I just think the name prohibited it a lot from for a lot of people. I think the U.S. market. No, anyway, that's Hector speculation. I'm just repeating what Hector said at this point. Uh I could understand that. It is not the easiest word to throw around no, in English. Not, for sure. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we'll see. Uh, see what happens. Uh, and finally, Cascuda. Uh, confirmed Cascuda and Maximus fighting on the cover on Endsong. So Maximus is uh, an Aristea character, which is very blue in Aristea, so suggestive of Pano. And I think his fluff suggests Pano, but he's actually turned out to be Aleph for the purposes of... Um, Infinity, so that's interesting. We'll see the explanation for that. And Cascuda, the 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 picture of Cascuda is very um Starship Troopers yes. uh, aesthetic to me. I'm not sure if you've seen or agree with that. Uh, Cascuda was one of my favorite models oh, back yes. in N1, and oh, seeing that it's coming back, it's yeah, it's cool. I'm excited. Um, I've got a Cascuda. Do you have the model by any chance? Did you? Have the... Ah, okay, right. I so do not. You don't hoard as much as I do. Well, that's better for you, I guess. Uh, I've got my fair share of hoarded Arianda uh, okay. uh, for Ben 1, but I didn't touch... Too many of my friends played combined in N1. Do you have the Moblot by any chance laying down, uh, machine gunning with his foot on the like the uh, the broken wall or whatever? Uh, no, that I think came out right about as I was oh, getting out of the game. Yeah, that, that that model is awesome, and that's so yeah. hard to get these days. So, 
Um, but yeah, actually, it's probably a good time to kind of introduce you, Nick. So let's just, I mean, ask you to put you on the spot, ask you a couple of questions just so the listeners get to know you. You're obviously from Melbourne. Um, I, I'm sure the listeners probably picked up on your accent a little bit. So you're not a native, so to say, uh, speak from Melbourne. I think you migrated. Is that no. Right? Where did you come from? Uh, yeah, originally from California by way of Oregon and a little bit of Washington and, or- and Alaska uh-huh. as well. And so basically the whole West Coast and wow. ran out of Pacific states, so I moved down to Melbourne. <laughs> Beautiful, and happy to have you. And what's your wargaming experience oh, like? Your, uh, uh, it your is long. Um, started, yeah, started back in high <laughs> school with uh, second edition 40K. Um, okay, beautiful. Did that for quite a while. M- moved over to War Machine uh, when that was released. Uh, that's been my main game for... I almost want to say decades at this point, but I don't think it's quite been out for more than one... De- for two decades. Um, dabbled with yeah. Infinity when that was first released. Um, and... A smattering of other ones, uh, Guild Ball for a little while, but uh, kind of got burnt out on War Machine and went, oh, look, N4 just released. And then made a horrible mistake of going, I'm going to grab all my N1 models and jump in. And had a very bad time because Uh. (laughs) um, I can't track 15 camel markers in my head while I also learn the rules of the game. Yeah, I think the first yes. time I played you, you were using Ariadna, yes. I believe. I think you were using Tac, maybe. So, um, a little break from N4, yeah, so and then came was... back fresh with a new army. So, uh, Hawk. Beautiful. And what did you land on? So, started Lovely. with uh, Rama, last uh, BCB, and the goal is to play it all the way through next BCB, and then see about branching out into vanilla some. Very nice. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I uh, I encourage that philosophy to a lot of people. Um, just play the fashion for a year. Just just mm-hmm. main it, main it. So as they say, um, and then just really dig deep into it, and then yeah, and then you'll really get some value, I think. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, enjoying the I guess asymmetric asymmetrical warfare of Hakuzlam, or what? What's kind of what's kind of the uh, the standout uh, mechanics of Hakuzlam that you enjoy? You know, they've got a little bit of everything but they're not the best at anything. So it's kind of got a little bit of that underdog feel that I liked about Ariata in N1. But it's got this nice approach of telling your opponent to their face that you're lying to them and making them figure out what you're lying about and how much you're lying. That, that, that's that's yeah that that is i think you i think you once you got the grasp of the mechanics i think if you went back to tack i think you'd enjoy that aspect yeah. of it as well um that's what i'm enjoying tack at the moment so yeah that, that's no but hackers alarm yeah. yeah that's that's that is a very nothing very quite like deploying so three nice. to four um, copies of the same character on the board and nodding to your opponent as they look strangely at you <laughs> No, yeah, no, that's that's yeah. Imperial Service does that as well, so no, I can appreciate that. Uh, this is one of the, that and hidden deployment, one of the unique mechanics uh, of Infinity, which uh, yeah, I think I, th- I don't know any other game that does does that sort of mechanic quite so well. 
Um, just actually, and just obviously, there's a lot of War Machine uh, listeners uh, in in our audience. Uh, generally, just to uh, find a, you know some supporters. What was your War Machine or War Mahords faction in Mark One? Choice. It was. Whoa, take it back. Protectorate of Menoth. Uh, second. Okay. I moved over to. Uh, at the very start of second, I moved over to Signar, then took a fairly long break when I moved around, and then came back into it with Everblight, and then moved uh-huh. on right. to start of Mark Three, Scorn, and then finally settled on Mercenaries. Scorn. Oh, mistake. Okay, right. yeah. so you've done it all. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, done it all. I think yeah, Crix was the only army that I never played, although at two points I had a Crix army in my possession. <laughs> yeah. But the, the the thing is the from the sounds of it, you like the underdog factions and Crix no. was not an underdog faction from my limited no. knowledge of War Machine. Uh yeah, yeah that Excellent. is pretty much common with Mercs and uh Hawk. Definitely underdog factions. Yes, nah, I can I, I can appreciate that. I'm very much the the hipster factions as well. The either old or supposedly underpowered, I'll be there. So that's uh, so similar philosophies. All right, Nick. Um, and what about recent games and hobby? What have you been up well, to? I have in that not space? gotten in a game for probably a month, month and a half since the last tournament. But I have been working on my new table train, and it is coming along nicely. Uh, finally settled on what I think will be my paint design. Uh, someone at the last tournament, when I brought it in completely unpainted, uh, made the suggestion that it looked like a VR board. And so I've decided uh-huh. to go with that. And it's basically going to be matte yeah, black with all of the edges highlighted in white. White or hot pink? Uh, I'm going with white because I can get a white paint pen, I'll be white, and yeah. I can't get a hot pink paint pen. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Now, actually, um, uh, yeah. So, so for those of the listeners, so Nick uh, is the handcrafted the table. Uh, it's actually I played on it. It was actually it was actually pretty fun. Uh, actually, and it was quite accessible. Or well, everything was quite accessible. You did really well to focus on that while still having fair bit of locking. Uh, different levels and line of side blocking terrain, so I think that was pretty good. Did you get some positive, uh, some good feedback? Did yes. you ask the feedback uh, on the event? It was mostly I, overall, it was good feedback. It was a little bit confusing because uh, I, some players rated one aspect really w- one way, and then the others rated it really w- the other way. So, like, some people said. Oh. Like the board was really accessible to models, and the other another person said it was really unaccessible to models, and I'm not quite sure what they, um, what board they were playing on. Um, yeah, no, I think yeah, because I, I could see yeah, I, I played on that was my first round against Ben. I found it really accessible because if you needed to, there's always ladders from every angle to kind of mm-hmm. get up on the on the things. But um, yeah, but you you just you cost you more yes. orders, of course, because you know, it's you're yeah. moving vertically. But uh, but yeah, there was no there was no points which were, were only accessible to one side yeah. or. Although or I did like get that, the so. feedback that the um, but, yeah. setup I had done probably needed some work because one of the towers uh, was not in a great place. I thought it was a balanced place that was equally yeah, accessible, okay. but um, yeah, it was not as equal as I thought it was. Not so much. <laughs> 
I will look. Um, the other, th yeah, and obviously yes. scatter, yeah. but the scatter's easy. That's an easy fix. So that's yeah, that's easy. Um, beautiful. So that's the main yes. thing you'll kind of be working on. Uh, how, how many hours do you reckon you put in? Uh, put into um, that you reckon so far? So you've got you built it yes, completely. It's all very yeah, much. hand cut foam core. Um, I'm not sure at this point. Uh, I would probably say I've got getting close to maybe upper thirties. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's really good effort. So. Nah, and I look forward to it. Will you be a BCV? Uh, will it be? I did will not be uh, donate. It to, I did not say I would have it at BCV because I do not know if it will be done. And right now it's kind of in an awkward yeah. in between stage where I don't yeah, think I could put it on the table, especially at a tournament. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. And you don't mm -hmm. want to put that pressure on to try and get it done. And then, yeah. Uh, but yes. you're attending. That's Plus, amazing. I'd rather get the last eight Sport. miniatures needed painted so I can play fully painted rather than they've got enough tables. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well that's great to hear. Um, in terms of me and my recent hobbies, I'll just uh, uh, make a quick mention. Uh, what have we done? We've up, had a bit of Aristea with uh, Hector recently. Um, uh, and uh, Josh at Axes and Ales. Uh, I think Hector had a bit of a four, four, four and four. I had a game with Lewis as well. That was nice to play Lewis for the first time. Lewis right around White Banner um, into my attack, and he ran a bit of a funny list where he had more Dow Phase than he had Monks. So that should say enough. Uh, that says it for mm -hmm. itself. It was a very much a meme list. Um, what else have I been? I've been painting a fair bit. Yeah, I'd like to be fully painted for BCB as well. I've done Pavel recently. I've got to post them up on the old Discord um, for people to uh, take shots. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much that's all I've been doing. So, so yeah, haven't yeah been getting a couple of games, not too much, but I'd like to ramp it up before BCB and try to get a couple of practice games in before mm -hmm. before it all happens. Um, oh, and sorry, of course, uh, we wrapped up the league. I won the wooden spoon for the league that Kevin ran, and we all got out to um, Temperus, I think, Temperus? Uh, some pub in Fitzroy. Uh, so we, it was good to see everyone there. It was maybe like 12 of us or, or something like that, uh, celebrating kind of the end of the league and some new faces. It was good to have a beer and just kind of have a chat. So, yeah, it was, that was really yeah, lovely. Always good to have that wrap up so, well, in the league. Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. I think having a league was just an awesome idea as well. So well done, Kevin. Um, I'd like to, yeah, hopefully a league, kind of the idea of a league kind of sticks around because it's it kind of encourages you to play people, one, find local people to play with because uh, he's kind of paired up, tries to pair people off by proximity rather than uh, 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 scores. And also it's a bit more casual and yeah, a bit more casual and it keeps Vinny front of mind without having to have a tournament every month. So yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really good. So yeah. And that's pretty, pretty much it. Anything else you want to mention about recent games or hobbies? I can't think of any of that offhand. No. You want... I think that's sweet. Oh, we'll keep on trucking. Um, so what we've got now is some recent, uh, uh, basically, so some um, challenges. So we're going to talk about our new challenges, a new month. Uh, so we have a new quarterly challenge and a new monthly challenge. So uh, Nick, did you sure. want to have a go at reading the monthly challenge? Yeah, I'm going to have to. Uh, so the July monthly challenge is going to be called The Sky is Falling, uh, not to be confused with other missions that's going to be coming up. 
so for this month, we want you to take a look at. <clears throat> Sorry. For this month, we want you to make your opponent scared of the very skies their toy soldiers fight under, and focus on bringing troops that are the epitome of attack vector exploitation. Drop troops. That's right. This month, we challenge you to build lists focused on troops with that combat drop skill, uh, a skill that is both loved and maligned with equal measure. We want to hear about how you reminded your opponent to keep their head on a swivel. Let us know the way in which a unit was able to punch through a small hole in your opponent's defenses, or how you spent 50 points on drop units that you ended up putting in your own DZ. How you approach the challenge? Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. How, yeah, sorry. Uh, how this changed your approach to the list building in your faction? Tell us everything. Uh, as always, send your reports and analysis to lossoflieutenant at gmail.com. Random winner will be chosen at the end of the month to win a blister of choice from Toy Soldier Imports. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so drop troops, are you a fan? I do not have that much access to them. Uh, I did not have access to them in Ariadna, and I only have access to parachutists in Hawk. However, oh, I'm sorry, parachutists in Rama. Uh, however, yep. those parachutists are yes. quite nice, and I have learned to love the Nahabs. Yeah. Yes, yes, the Nahab is incredible. That's an incredible drop troop. Uh, the Rajiks, uh, the, when I played Hawk back in the day, I used Rajiks. Um, I, they were, I really enjoyed them. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm pretty keen to hear what people, uh, how people experience drop troops because it's always a troop that people are like, oh, do I bring it or not? Everyone's had their horror stories where they just don't land when you really need them to. So it'll be interesting to hear what, uh, what people come uh, up with. Um, and of course, now we have a quarterly challenge, the narrative story, uh, continuing Lost Lieutenant's drive to get people into the creative side of Infinity. For qu uh, quarter three, we are looking, uh, asking our listeners to write us a short story, a short narrative story. The Infinity Universe has a rich and diverse background with so many source books uh, to choose from and the end song around the corner. It's perfect time to create some new stories for the human sphere. Uh, is there a unit or character in your army who has performed so heroically over the course of multiple games they deserve to have a story written about them? Or is there a uh, piece of background you've read or heard about that's crying out to be expanded? Well, now's your chance to express yourself through written word. Uh, please try uh, to stick to a limit of no more than 2,000 words, as there are supposed to be a sh uh, as yeah these are meant to be short stories. Alternatively, we will accept 10-minute audio recordings. Uh, they'd be welcome as well. As always, send your submissions to lostlieutenant@gmail.com. At the end of the quarter, we will pick our favorite and give them a white noise treatment of reading them out on the show. Yeah, so this challenge has been completely ripped up from white noise. I don't know if you've ever listened uh, to white noise. I have listened to some of theirs and was disappointed that as I was getting into them, they stopped yeah no they were, yeah. they were brilliant they were a very very good podcast and um yeah definitely very sad to, uh, that they stopped as well but they basically they, they were the ones who uh, pioneered uh this i guess idea of having people write in uh narrative stories and yeah i think they had some really good entries so um yeah so we figured you know we'll uh, pick up the torch uh, for this quarter and see what people come up with. Um, and of course, a random entry will win the small box set of their choice from Toy Soldier Imports. And most of all, good luck. 
All right, uh, a couple of events announcements. So basically, I just want to touch on uh, an announcement we did in the last episode. Basically, uh, the Sydney Community Building Initiative. Uh, a bunch of guys, great guys in Sydney. They're trying to uh, build up a bit of a community. They're gonna. They've been all over the Facebooks trying to get some input around venue, time, uh, frequency, and uh, I guess medium. Um, and yeah, so so if you are in Sydney, if you're in New South Wales, you're looking for uh, Infinity Community, hit up Frank, hit up Taro, um, hit up Ivory, lots of great people kind of getting up, uh, trying to get Infinity off the ground there. So that's that's awesome. Um, and obviously, if or or just shout out on the Discords, and we'll direct you to uh, direct you to um, yeah uh, to them. Now, in terms of um, upcoming events, custom. Uh, Codename Custom Ordinance, July 15th, sat, that's a Saturday, has a tournament being run by me, and it has three of the missions that are uh, from this very challenge, from our last challenge. Uh, one of them we'll be definitely be discussing, and hopefully two of them we might get to depending on time. Um, so basically, to celebrate the hard work of our listeners for the last uh, two quarters, uh, we are hosting an event. Uh, we will be using the best three mission entries chosen by the host and a special someone by the name of Heloise. Uh, Heloise has also confirmed that there is a chance that one of the missions will be in the next ITS. Um, and basically, the missions will be dropshipping, Skyfall, and Demolition Run. They've all been announced. They're all in the event. Have a read. Sign up. $20, House of War, 15th of July. Um, Nick, yeah. do you want to uh, remind people so of we've Burn got Burn City Brawl? Brawl coming up start of next month, fifth and sixth of August. It's at the Flemington and Kensington Bowls Club. Cost is seventy five dollars. Uh, there are only a couple spots left. Uh, I believe yeah. yesterday we were down to two. So if you intend to yeah, be there, um, you should sign up now. In the event that it does sign fill up, up uh, they will have a uh, reserve list for backup players in the event that uh plants fall through or someone withdraws the missions for that will be cryogenics capture and protect frontline supplies and decapitation beautiful um yeah you're right there's only two spots left uh it's kind of like a taylor swift concert at this point um so getting quick uh and the final, uh, and then there's also an uh, uh, event uh, in Queensland. This is the Stakeout 5 by Bivin, Bo, uh, Bovine Tech War. Jesus Christ. Bovine Tech War. Uh, tickets on sale for Stakeout 5 by uh, Bovine Tech War on September 2nd and 3rd in the beat capital of Australia, Rockhampton, Queensland. Now, the mission, subject to ITS 15 dropping, are uh, Capture and Protect, highly classified, by Tech War, Frostbite, Decapitation. Um, it's capped at 30 players in the beautiful and licensed Millennial Comics. Infinity Bingo and usual social drinks will be back again. Uh, there's an uh, event link uh, which we'll post in the show notes. So look out for that. Um, and that's all the news and announcements. So might I take a quick uh, pause, uh, grab a bit of water, and then we'll jump in the Sounds main good. segment. Yep. So now we have our main segment where we will be discussing uh, the, uh, uh, the custom missions that have been submitted. Now, initially, uh, initially, what we were on the back of the quarterly challenge, where we asked you guys to submit uh, the custom missions, we had 36 submissions, so that's far beyond our expectations. Uh, initially, we were hoping to kind of cover all the missions that were submitted and just have a bit of a chat around them, but with 36 missions, obviously, that's not possible. So, what we chose to do is narrow down to our favorite, uh, to the, uh, I guess, 
a favourite five. Now, how we did this is uh, we've got my opinion, Kevin's, Jacob's and Nick's. Um, and obviously we all had very different criteria. There was no set criteria for judging missions. It's just kind of uh, subjective. And we just found, we just chose the missions that we had the most, uh, I guess, consensus on. Um, now, Nick's also been kind enough to compile as he was going over the missions, he chose to compile a fair bit of data comparing the missions against ITS 13 to 14, uh, just to see some interesting patterns and find some uh, what, what insights we might get from the sort of missions people created to kind of maybe see what maybe people are searching for or what maybe people are hoping to get more out of um, ITS missions. And yeah, uh, basically just, yeah, just some high and also highlights some maybe unique mechanics. So Nick, with that introduction, uh, feel free to take it away. Give us your methodology behind, uh, I guess, some of the uh, data you So basically, and, we had enough missions that I thought, uh, let's let's compare this to other N4 ITS missions. Uh, initially, was going to do all of N4 ITS, but then remembered that at ITS 13 and ITS 14 are the same thing except for cryogenics. So it's all going to be compared to ITS 14. Uh, hopefully, some insight in what players are looking for in scenarios, or it may just be over analysis of a limited data pool with a derivative skew. So, bear with that in mind. So, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we're we're going with a grain of salt, taking this with a grain of salt. But there is there definitely is some patterns uh, that yes. kind of emerge. So that is interesting. Uh, first thing I looked at was how objective points are scored. Uh, broke them apart into four categories. Uh, looked at classified objectives, so this being your hidden secondary cards, uh, not anything that was main objective, so like countermeasures counted as zero, that type of thing. Uh, looked at end of round and end of game scoring, and then also looked at, uh, okay. I decided to call it immediate scoring, because I don't think there's a category name for it. Basically, any points that once you score them, you can't lose them, uh, regardless of when they're actually tallied. So if at the end of the game it says, you have t turned on this antenna, and there's no way for your opponent to turn it off, I counted that as immediate scoring, because as soon as you do it, the point's yours, done deal. Uh, yeah, so something, would you say something like supremacy, uh, where you push the antennas? Um, or, for example, uh, cryogenics, where you push more console or two consoles, and that the perfect yes. can't take them yeah, away. Stuff like that. Something like that. Yep. Cool. Perfect. So, for classified objectives, uh, basically, the custom miss missions had a more diverse range of the number of classifieds. Uh, for ITS, majority of the missions have one classified card. The custom missions, it was an equal split between zero, one, and two classified cards. Permission. Uh, both ITS and the custom missions had a few outliers at three and four, but those weren't those were outliers. Uh, yeah. Right, right. So are you saying there was uh, less classified uh, uh, objectives in the custom missions or the ITS? They're about the same, say? but they were spread differently. So ITS primarily has missions that have one classified, but there were. Uh, okay, so uh, I think it was. <laughs> 30% of the custom missions had zero, 30% at one, 30% at two, yeah. and then there were the odd ones there, okay, okay. which did mean that we had more missions in the set that had no classifieds. Yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I don't know, my suspicion for that, I think, is classified, the classified objectives are a nice mechanic to balance mm -hmm. a mission. 
uh, or to yeah, I think I think once you play test the mission long enough, if it feels a bit easy to draw or kind of, uh, I, I think for me classifieds are often put in to kind of avoid draws, so they're kind of included for that purpose um, in missions. So yeah, maybe, I, I see a slightly different approach to it because more. I think the yeah. reason that a lot of missions have one classified is because once the mission is done and you've got all the main objectives, they come to nine points, and therefore you add one classified. And because it's a three-turn game, uh, nine points comes up point. a lot. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You're right. Because, yeah. Okay. So, nice. Yeah, so, yeah, most classifieds, uh, most missions design are designed in a way where you can at least, uh, you can get a, uh, three objective points yeah. per turn or something like that, or one objective per turn, which ends up to be yeah. three, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. That's uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, what about uh, end of round and end of game scoring? What was, was uh, their difference? No, actually, those were pretty much spot on the same. Uh, the proportion of missions in ITS and in the custom missions with end of turn or end of or end of round or end of game scoring were the same, mm-hmm. and the average wow. number of points that missions gave for end of round and end of game scoring were also the same. So right. it, I was actually quite surprised to see how close they came out. Uh, I was expecting to see some difference, but a lot of these numbers, I think, showed that these custom missions followed most of the conventions of the ITS missions as far as points balance and such with a few things that stood out. So either the... Infinity community has been so well versed in ITS that they can replicate the missions, or it's proved the Corvus Belly just have a bunch of monkeys typewriting their missions, and it can be sourced out to the community as well as anything else. So, which of those we don't know, but it sounds but the, the way they've done the scoring between the two types I think of missions. It's the uh, port the that the way ITS does most of their points is fairly balanced because the community in the missions they wanted to write came up with the same numbers very similar yeah yeah, yeah. no I, th- I think i think the reality is yeah we're very well well versed in yeah. its and how the mission's kind of balanced and that's why we're uh, the community's able to replicate it for sure uh what about immediate scoring is that uh because that's that i think there's not many missions there aren't have many missions but the custom missions had more there were more missions in the custom missions that had immediate scoring mm-hmm. Though mm. the missions that offered immediate scoring had the average the same number of points per mission as ITS missions that offer immediate scoring. So right. the number of points offered was the same, but more missions had access to it. More missions had. Right. What's your opinion on immediate scoring in a kind uh, I, I like it, uh, but it needs to be balanced. So. I think this is probably a good point. So Kevin has left a note in here for us uh, that Kevin says, I feel immediate scoring is there to encourage the first turn player to bag points instead of killing their opponent first and bagging points in round three. Uh, I would agree with that. I also think they're important for keeping the uh, losing player engaged. So if... You know, toward end of turn two, right. start of turn three, you look and go, I'm going to lose this game. 
but I can still do X, Y, Z, get a few more points either for tiebreak or to hit that five OP and get a strong loss. Uh, yes. Uh, in some of my... Yeah, okay. Gotcha. In some uh, of my yeah, earlier tournaments, really point. Uh, point. where I was still learning the rules, and uh, one in particular where I paired up against Hector, who, knowing him going, like, he's a strong player, <laughs> the board was not... The train was not great, and he had... Let's say, the train was very flat, and he had a core link super jumping missile launcher. Uh, uh, so, with him looking uh, yeah, out, the bloody, uh, I already know I'm going to struggle against him because he's a he's a really good player, uh, and the board and lists are not in my favor. So, I won first turn, and it yep. was um, highly classified, I believe. And I blitzed out there. I scored mm-hmm. five objective points, and then was crushed. Holy shit! Holy uh, because the classified oh, your uh, classified your hands were three. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, went out there with right. goal of I I don't think I can win, but I can get a strong loss and then cripple and then co- just collapse. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, okay, so yeah, just uh, try to stay yes. uh, yeah get ahead and just stay ahead basically. So. Yeah, I look. I agree with both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. I didn't think of your insight. That's actually a really good point. Having uh, immediate scoring gives people a chance to, in losing position, just grab what they can, if they want to try. Um, I guess, uh, look for uh, on the mm-hmm. bigger picture, like from a tournament perspective. Um, but yeah, I also agree with Kevin. You got it's got to be a little bit. I don't know. I think you just need to be a bit careful to balance yes. the game because. Mm-hmm. It goes both ways, right? You might be losing and you can grab the immediate scoring. You might, yes. but it can also happen if you're winning and you can just turn the, uh, seal the game and turn one mm-hmm. or two or whatever, and that's never fun. I think that's a good experience for any game. So, so yeah, that, yeah, it is interesting. Um, there's actually a mechanic that we'll hopefully cover uh, that was uh, by Tristan uh, in the uh, his uh, what was it? Yeah, the heist. Uh, the heist. Uh, what was the mission name? Uh, uh, Last yep. chance? No, no. Data heist. Yeah, data heist. Sorry. Um, there was a really good mechanic there actually, and that mm-hmm. had some immediate scoring, I think, uh, from memory. So yep. we'll hopefully cover that. Um, awesome. So yeah, so, so yeah, you got some takeaways here. Uh, um, classified numbers were more diverse, and including zero as a number, meaning there were fewer missions with zero classifieds. Uh, and then yeah, more init- what we just discussed, more uh, missions with immediate scoring options. So, Beautiful. second thing I looked at was different scenario elements in the missions. So, looked at use of objective rooms, use of exclusion zones, uh, not counting exclusion zones that were just the objective room, uh, use of 40 mil objectives, so antennas, consoles, tech coffins, but uh, not panoplies. Uh, separate category for panoplies. Uh, use of supply tokens or whatever scenario-specific term they want to call them, uh, and the required use of Civivac to score objective points. So think rescue. Okay. Yes. Uh, objective rooms were present in twice as many missions as they are in ITS. Uh, 
in passing. Right. So ITS has two or three. Yeah. Um, my, my I, oh. Two, two. Two. Armory, yeah. uh, Panic Room, uh, and Armory. In past years, has there been a trend toward more objective rooms in the custom missions? Uh, to be honest, uh, I think this is a first custom mission oh, challenge, okay. to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I generally think... but No, but the, obviously from mm -hmm. the custom missions that we've seen, uh, generally speaking, I don't think so. But I think uh, objective rooms definitely create a nice, like thematic yes. or narrative um foundation mm -hmm. to kind of play with but i think that's yeah. why they're popular okay off the top so line. thought on this is yes objectives are fun they can add great theme a good concentration to the mission they can be a pain for tournament setup uh and this is where yeah. kev notes uh, i'll just paraphrase it uh Basically, if we have enough objective room missions available, then the TOs can make a tournament entirely with objective room missions, and then the burden of setup with uh, objective rooms is no longer a burden. It's just set at the table once and done. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. It would be yeah. lovely to have a few more objective room missions. Yeah, the thing is, the objective room is such a like uh, all-encompassing um, aspect of a table that I think even if three diverse missions that have objective rooms would probably feel this a little mm -hmm. bit too familiar for an event. Um, I think, but it, actually, I could well, be wrong. We'll we had some missions in the custom missions that involved going into the supply into the objective room and we had some that involved evacuating the supply room getting models out of it yes so that Ooh, could yeah. be Ooh, enough yeah. to set those apart yeah, yeah. it's a diverse file a little bit that's so, true that's true exclusion zones um uh, similar yeah. objective rooms about 50 percent more missions with exclusion zones uh though i did like that Many authors were cr more creative than just here's an eight-inch exclusion zone on either side of the central line. Uh, some of them reduced the size of it so that it was only four inches on either side of the line. Uh, I liked that in that it still means you can't be camping the objectives, but you still don't feel like you're losing out on a lot of use of for deploy and aerial deployment. Yeah, okay. So you you so you still kind of you don't feel so I guess uh, hesitant to take those profiles cuz yeah, you, the, right. the skills you're paying for aren't completely uh, There was another it. one yep. who did a variant on exclusion zones where they only applied during deployment and once the game started, you could oh. aerial deploy into them. So it stopped you from starting on top of objectives, but it didn't reduced your mobility once the game started. Yeah, right. What about hidden deployment? Did it mention hidden deployment? I don't believe because... I don't believe it did because that would be covered by infiltrating you know, deploy. during deployment. So it would have been... Cover, it would have been part that of an exclusion sense. zone then. Yeah. Prohibited, yeah. yeah I think so. Awesome. So, um, uh, I think you had some questions. I think we kind of just covered it there. Um, I guess we kind of got Kev notes here um, yeah. about players fairly much don't like exclusion zones, but understand why they exist. 
Uh, and he also that mm. he did like that there were some variations on them and giving a bit of a fresh take on them so that it's not just here's a third of the board that you can't use. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Well, do, what do you think? Do you, as a Huck player, do you like or dislike... Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Exclusion zones? Uh, I suspect you dislike. But mostly I dislike. Uh, I, what Kev said, I, I see why they're there. I understand why they exist. Uh, I think they could be more nuanced between scenario, depending on what that scenario needs from them. Because it's a little disheartening to pay the points for infiltrate and show up and go, well, it yeah. might as well be four, deploy four inches. Ten inches. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is harsh. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think many people like them, but I think they're useful. I think yeah, yes. they're obviously useful in some scenarios, and it's good to have diversity, I guess, in a tournament lineup as well. Um, it yes. makes it more yes. challenging to list right. Uh, mm -hmm. so I think yeah, they're so, purpose. Um, and yeah, yeah um, forty mil objectives. Long. So again, antennas, pan or antennas, data, uh, vaults, whatever. Uh, they were way more prevalent in the custom mission set. So in ITS-14, about 50% of missions have them. In the custom missions, 80% of them had them. There were many more right. okay. board components that you had to touch, play with, turn on, turn off, pull something out of. Right. And I enjoyed that greatly out of the missions. Um, yeah, I think a lot of missions were encouraged in the custom missions that were submitted. I uh, really encouraged yeah. people to go into the middle, right? There was a lot of missions just but leading both mm -hmm. players to just meet in the middle uh, over objectives and obviously encourage the engagement. Yeah. Which so is, one of the downsides yeah, to having the object forty mil objective markers on the table is that most missions that means they're in fixed locations, they're the same place every mission, and they can mess with train setup for tournaments because you have to plan around where the objectives will be for certain missions. Uh, several of our authors worked around that by having more creative ways to deploy them. So, um, uh, well, basically all of the ones that were creative had the players deploy them. But they all came up with different ways of making the players deploy them. So uh, one, and we'll, I think we'll get to this one, uh, involved deploying a bunch of uh, objectives on the board before initiative. So yes. players get to put them on the board, but they don't know where they're deploying or what turn order is. So they have to deploy them in a balanced yeah. manner. Uh, another one had you Theory. deploying your own objectives, one on your opponent's side, one on your side, but with some restriction on where it is. And then the opponent did the same. So you could both deploy them beneficial to yourself to balance it. And then, spoilers for the first uh, mission we'll cover, it, uh, mission. where you compete who have a better chance of controlling where they show up. Uh, 
Yeah, that's yeah, and that, I think that was pretty so. Cool. Those yeah. all allowed the missions to have more things on the board without being a constant. It meant that each time you played that mission, it would be different. Hmm. Yes, yeah, for sure, for sure. No, I think. Yeah, so, but what, more generally, what do you think of the fact that uh, there's a whole bunch of um, more missions with tokens? So just, I guess people enjoy kind of that idea of I like them to because things or push buttons? That's what I like about Infinity. You're not there just to kill your opponent. Uh, the way I've described Infinity to people who don't play is, even like non-gamers, uh, is that you're there to accomplish the mission goal. The opponent happens to be in your way. Mm -hmm. Like killing yeah, their models is almost always yeah, a secondary objective, or it's something that you need to do mm. as a step to get to your objective. Yeah, it's interesting because ITS. Um, there was some previous ITSs which were much more focused on those style of missions, where it was much mm -hmm. more focused on doing objectives rather than killing. And then uh, the last couple of editions have probably been more towards the, a balance between the two, where there's mm -hmm. a balance between doing objectives and killing. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, more towards, maybe not more towards killing, but more of a balance. Whilst I remember ITS of the past, where there was a lot more, hey, you can play yep. next to your opponent rather against your opponent. Uh, some in some of the missions, so mm -hmm. so I think yeah, there's a little bit of that uh, in some of these. I missions. probably should have mentioned it before I went into discussion on them. Um, for the missions that had 40 mil objectives, the number of 40 mil objectives used per mission was similar to uh, that of ITS. So for overall, we weren't really looking at yeah. more, just more missions that included them. Include them, yeah, and they're often like three across the middle or yeah. four, four in the quadrants, like the uh, supply style. Yeah, so there was uh, some familiar patterns that people picked up from ITS and replicated. Um, and then mm -hmm. of course there was Tristan with nine. Um, but yes, um, oh, now okay. supply tokens uh, are required. Panoplies first. Um, oh, sorry, which is uninteresting. Yep, Panoplies, they're so rare for the most part that it really didn't show anything. Uh, so I'll ignore that. Uh, supply tokens and required use of Civivac were both three times as prevalent in the custom missions. So with supply tokens, 30% of the custom missions use supply tokens, whereas only 10% of ITS. Uh, back to the use of 40 mil objectives, I think this is there's more stuff to interact with on the board. And more give and take. So where 40 mil objectives might be something you have to hold on a specific spot, supply tokens are something you have to hold, but you can decide where on the board you're going to hold them. Yeah, yeah, so you can run away with them and stuff so like that. So required to I'd say great assault on this one, because there's only one ITS mission that requires it, and it's rescue. But yeah. there were five of our custom missions that required you use Civivac to score objective points. And a lot of these were tied to another trend, which was the increased use of HVTs as primary objectives. So some of them yeah, right. you needed to use the you needed to Civivac the HVT to get them to a specific spot. Some you needed to Civivac the HVT to have them do a specific skill for you. But most of them you still had to pick up the HVT and get it somewhere or pick up a civilian and get it somewhere. 
And this goes back to yep. Uh, yep. supply tokens and for the objectives, more elements on the board to interact with. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely noticed that as well. I think one of the missions we might be covering, I uh, had, uh, oh, well, they're kind of HPTs, but they're also, I think, unclassified. I, I counted those as 40 mil objectives um, because that, they're essentially, they're essentially yeah, small supply uh, boxes. Yeah, yeah, there's a uh, yeah, so yeah, takeaway from uh, the second yeah. section, basically all the, there were more missions with each of the game components except for mm -hmm. Panoplies. Uh, takeaway, I, if I had to make any guesses what this means, uh, players want more stuff on the board to interact with. Uh, they don't want necessarily okay. more things in a mission, but more missions with things to interact with. Right. Uh, okay, so, so supply-esque style missions um, uh, uh, basically extracting things uh, and running away with things or pushing buttons to uh, or yeah, basically acquisition style, supply style. I would say in general, yes. But the amount of variety we received, uh, that's an oversimplification. Yeah, yeah. yeah, true, 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 true. Yeah, there were some really creative ways to do it. There was people combining supplies yes. with biotech. Vault. A lot of missions um, had yeah, more than one style of objective. So... Like you might have to hold uh, an object, but you also might have to hold a position at the same time. Uh, it wasn't. All the missions were more complicated, I guess. It wasn't. They weren't quite as straightforward, yeah. but they weren't. Yeah. Uh, most of them were still well within ITS level of complexity. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, but it'd be interesting because we're looking at a lens with a bit of experience to the game. Obviously, an ITS document has to be approachable yes. by new players as well. So, I'm wondering if they'd hold up to that uh, test. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. Hello, um, Lois had a little bit that he dropped on one of the um, his uh, feedback. Yeah, yeah, we have that. Some. There was enough here that they might consider doing a narrative packet. Uh, now, given this is yeah. him having okay. the idea then that in the future they might. So don't take that as gospel. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But yeah, it's... it's nice to see that exactly. that's something they might consider. Uh, so similar yeah. to we have sure. the, was it the direct action missions this time? So the yep, slightly more simple so. yeah, missions, uh, it would be nice to see them put out a packet with the slightly more complicated missions yeah yeah actually yeah they could go the other way right and so um, yeah they very well could and they could have another in the next campaign we might see some variations of some of these missions uh that are being compiled and hopefully they find it useful to have 36 missions custom design which they can use as a foundation to maybe uh making their future missions right they don't have to take yes. them word for word but they can probably use some ideas of foundation yeah. so hopefully we've served the served the greater community the uh, as a whole. So hopefully some yeah. good comes of this. Um, get on to missions. And yeah, so basically, yeah, so in summary, um, few players are very well versed in writing missions uh, akin to ITS. Um, there was a more tendency on interaction with objectives. And uh, I guess there was, yeah, more immediate mm -hmm. scoring. So those are the kind of, so more immediate scoring, more interacting, and yeah, 
uh, and lots of 40 mil tokens. Yes. Um, Got to have some awesome. video. No, thank you very much for putting that together. Oh. By the way, that was awesome. That was really, really, Thanks. really good. Um, now, I guess into our top five. So now what we're going to do uh, is basically discuss the top five missions. Now, we're not going to read the mission document out, lo out loud. I just, we don't think it's going to be very, um, uh, I guess, engaging. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to summarize as best we can uh, sales pitch for the mission, uh, more or less, and then just, uh, and basically broadly outline what both players are trying to achieve in that mission, what that mission is trying to get you to do. And then, yeah, we'll just talk about some of the key aspects of what makes the mission fun, balanced, creative, and where it might have improvements. Um, so, yeah, so the first mission off the block is basically called Skyfall. Now, this mission thing's been doing the rounds on the TTS circuit, so the online circuit, I think, so some, pe some people might be familiar with it. But effectively, what this mission is, is uh, there's a special shipment landing. Uh, first players must compete to control where the shipment lands, and after that, it's all about controlling that the, the shipment. Uh, effectively, what this mission has is it has uh, a couple of antennas in the middle of the table, Turn one, um, the players are fighting to, for control of the antennas. Now, from turn at the end of turn one, four supply boxes are uh, opt into the map. Now, it's a face-to-face -face willpower check between the two players where the supply boxes land. Now, the willpower, I think, is 10 for each player. And you get plus three for every antenna you control. So I think you can go up to 16. And then, yeah, as you roll off each supply box, you determine where it lands. Now, obviously, this creates a nice dynamic because if uh, they land on one side of the board, that player kind of becomes the defender and the other player the attacker, kind of like um, unofficially. Um, or if, yeah, um, depending where they, they uh, the boxes land, it'll create quite a dynamic to the uh, to the mission, uh, so I think it's a really cool idea. Added that oh, these are not just combat drop; these are explosive combat drop. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah, adds that, a that, bit more. Do I want to place point. it close enough to my opponent to hurt them, or do I want to place it back where I can protect it better? Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah the scoring is all the scoring for the mission is mainly around the antennas and the controlling the supply boxes from yeah. memory. Um, so yeah, uh, what do you think is fun about the mission? Uh, uh, I, you Nick, what do you? What, what, I what like you the two-stage scenario where turn one is all about setting yourself up and making sure your opponent's not set up. So you're competing to see who places the objectives, and that feels like a really fun balance of how to get objectives placed by the players in the middle of the game, but in a way that is balanced-ish. There's enough objectives that yeah. if no player has any bonus and they're just rolling off, uh, it will come up usually about 50-50. Uh, but if one player has tagged enough bonuses, then they have a much better chance. Uh, I think you can get up to because you've got a your um, uh, designated landing or you've got a you know you've got a special trooper who uh, yeah the, yeah with the whole operation. Um, trying to think of the other words they've used data. Um, I'm having yeah. a look now. Flight, call, uh, flight uh, who operative. I believe gives a plus three to the roll if they're alive. So you can get up to a plus nine 
So you could be succeeding on 19s versus your opponent's 10. Yes. Um, one thing, actually, I didn't uh, forgot to check. What happens when you both uh, fail, you just re-roll? Re yeah. I suspect you just re-roll. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Um, and the, the the things that are dropping out of the sky, they're Panoply. They are. Uh, so you, there's also something to be, yeah, something to grab out of them. So that's um, a bit of a bonus mm -hmm. to be had there potentially. So, yeah. Um, look, I probably I agree. Um, the the uh, the two stages, of the mission, uh, turn one, you can either commit real hard and try. Um, maybe it'll take some losses for the, uh, in exchange of the antennas, so that way you you get the control of the boxes landing near you, or gamble on the, getting the control of the boxes landing near you. Um, or you could just set up turn one, let your opponent have them, and then crush them turn two. Uh, I don't know, just it just yeah, it's a it's a nice little kind of ants that there are ways to, to give yourself uh, advantages in future turns, but if you don't do that, you haven't lost the mission. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's I think I th and I think that's that's a really nice. Yeah, I think having two more than one way to play the mission, I think, is what makes one of the parts that makes mm -hmm. the mission good. Um. So, and I think was the uh, the only other thing is was there any classifieds? Uh, there's one classified. Uh, yes, one classified. Yep. Beautiful. Okay. All right. And so yeah, so there is a classified to kind of I guess uh, add to the mix as well. Now. In terms of balance, uh, turn one versus turn two, what do you think? I think it's fairly good. Going first versus, sorry, going first versus Yeah, going, going first versus second. I think it's fairly good. Uh, the communications antennas can be flipped. Uh, and if it, you flip them, you're no longer on your opponent's side. Uh, I believe you... Uh, now I'm trying to remember if you have to be in base with it or not. Yes, okay. So with the communications antennas... You can't just have it activated. You have to have it activated and controlled. So that makes it mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah, that makes it difficult for the first play, uh, play going Correct. first. That's, so yeah, they get an advantage tough. that they can get up there and turn the antennas on, uh, mm -hmm. but it's not guaranteed that they're going to be theirs. Uh, the second player can just snipe out whatever's controlling it, they don't get control of the antenna, or they don't get it activated for them, but neither does their opponent. Yes, that's that. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So, and this points for scoring the antenna. So, I think there's a, I think to me, maybe there's probably a bit more advantage to going second I in think this so. mission. I, I think, yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, I think having the second turn. But I guess... The great, uh, but Infinity, generally speaking, I think a lot of people prefer turn one. I don't know if I don't know if I do, but I think a lot of people do prefer going first because uh, Alpha. Strikes, I think the mission think. has the, so, a similar balance to first and second that most Infinity does. Second player has some scoring advantage, but first player has Alpha. And if you yeah, don't have models, you can't control an objective. That's very true. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think that's good. I think, yeah, I think from an like, ITS perspective, uh, ITS lens, I think this mission is quite well done in in that and the, just the general. Um, now, from a creative point of view, um, I love the way the crates are placed. Yes. Uh, it's also just, I don't know, kind of thematic, just like, uh, yeah, things falling out of the sky and you're just scrambling to kind of retrieve them. Uh what do you think in terms of creativity? Uh, now, given I haven't been around in Infinity for 
as long as you have. Uh, I haven't seen anything like it. Uh, it's it's fresh. It's new, uh, but it it throws a random element in there that the players can control. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So yeah, so I guess randomness is always dangerous in games which are desi- are designed to kind of be in a competitive well, setting because people obviously don't like um, losing to ra- uh, neutral random elements. Actually, uh, random but, might but, be yeah, the wrong so, term. Yeah. Uh, variability. Variability. I think okay. that's probably better. Where there's variation in how the mission plays from game to game, but the players have control and can compete to have more control over that variability in the game. Yes, yes. Actually, that's that's a much better way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what, that's what most games, in, uh, miniature games are. It's controlling variability, mm-hmm. uh, especially dice games, right? Uh, Blood Bowl is probably the greatest example uh, of trying to just control uh, variability and the dice. Um, and yeah, I think... I think, do you... <sighs> The only, the only thing. So, in terms of the creative aspect, I like it. Now, just some of the shortcomings for me personally. Not a fan of the explosion. I'm, I don't like that they explode when they land. I am concerned about the balance of the explosion because I can, I can see ways you can abuse it, yeah. uh, especially if you are, if you're up slightly on the roll for the first one and you win that, um, I'd be really tempted to drop the panoply on the either a model that's controlling the antenna or their flight controller because that will then remove bonuses from their future rolls to control future drops. Yeah, okay, that's one way. There's also, uh, there's also obvious lieutenants and integral units like puppet masters yes. or uh, antipode controllers, which are des- from a game design point of view are meant to be uh, designed to be obvious vulnerabilities, but vulnerabilities that are using um, traditional infinity mechanics are hard to get to because obviously the opponent has to uh, traverse uh, the whole map to get to them. Yes. Uh, arrows, and this I'm bypassing it. On your antipode note, uh, it's also really... It can be abused to decamo markers. Uh, uh, if you drop it next yeah. to a camo marker, they make an armor save and they're revealed. That also means mm. if you are pretty sure you know where a hidden deploy model is and you drop it next to them, they're forced yeah, to take but... an armor save and they lose hidden deploy and camo state. Yeah. Okay. So. So. Okay. But these sound. These sound more like tweaks rather than like critical mission yes. um, faults. Yeah. So like, uh, I understand uh, yeah. why the explosive is there, and that's to give you incentive to put it closer to your opponent, because you'll get a benefit from it by taking a hindrance later in the game because it's tougher for you to reach. Mm. I don't know how I yeah. would balance the... it otherwise. Yeah, well, I've got a couple of ideas, but the I guess the because one of the things the mission does well is it, it encourages people to go into the middle and meet in the middle to fight for the antennas, right? But then the if the way if you don't have the explosion or you don't have limitations of whether they can drop, you just drop it in your deployment zone, and then you're then you're turning into a game 
of attacking defender, which is fine. I, I don't think that's bad. But if the two boxes land on either side, you have a bit of a stalemate potentially. Uh, or maybe you're fine for the middle objectives. Yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, without playing the mission, it's a bit of speculation. But I think one of the limitations might be, one of the solutions uh, might be limitation to where the uh, mm -hmm. supply box can be dropped. So maybe they no explosion, first of all. I, I just think mm -hmm. that would be just better to get rid of it. And I think maybe they can only be dropped in the forward zones. So rather, instead of deployment zones. Uh, so having them drop... Oh. Either in your forward zone, or opponent's forward zone, uh, just to that. Random thought I just had. Um, if you divided the non-deployment zone, the area of the board that's not a deployment zone, into quadrants, and you mm -hmm. said only one pod per quadrant. Per quadrant. So uh, it would yeah. give some distribution of them, yeah. but also have a little bit more metagame of. I won the first roll. I want to make sure I know this quadrant gets it here. Uh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, meta games are yeah. Meta, people mm -hmm. like meta games. Yeah, meta games, yeah. That's true. I think that, I think that's a pretty clever. Yeah. That's cl clever. Do I want design there. my close quadrant to be dropped close to me, or do I want my opponent's quadrant to be dropped mm -hmm. far from them, not knowing who gets the next yes, roll? Yes, interesting. And actually, you know, going back to the first versus second mm -hmm. debate uh, for this mission, even though the second player might have more control on where they land, first player is the one who gets yes. to act first to pick them up. So, oh, I didn't think of that mm -hmm. actually the first time we were talking about it. So, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So there is a nice little balance to 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 be had here, actually. So, yeah, look. I think it's a good mm -hmm. mission. I think we agree on it. I think Kevin liked it, Jacob liked it, yourself, yep. and I had a yeah, I I liked it as well. So yeah, uh, well done. Um, who actually submitted that? Ooh, that was see if I can Francesco Bacini or Bacino. Oh. I'm sure I'm slaughtering that. Right. Well. <laughs> that's fine, but yeah, we won't dock too many people, but that's fine. Oh. <laughs> um, that awesome. Uh, yeah. So that, that well done. Uh, thank you, Francesco. Uh, oh. That was really well done. Uh, uh, I'm reading it off of the mission they submitted, so if they put their name on it, uh, I feel that's fair yeah, game. <laughs> that's what we're awesome. All right, well, okay. what about the next so mission? Next uh, one we have is Extraction. I'll give, let you do this. Best way to sum this up is it's time to put those cube jaggers out of a job. Uh, players place three HVTs before initiative is rolled, uh, then compete to extract and hold on to their cubes. Why are there so many dead HVTs in one place? Better not to ask that question. Right. So walk us through. What, what's the mission trying to get the players okay. to do? And uh, so where's the scoring it's, had? It feels very much like a variant on supplies. Uh, but instead of having three fixed boxes on the center line, before initiative is rolled, so before anyone knows who's deploying where and when, each player alternates placing three HVTs in the area that is more than four inches from your deployment zone. Mm -hmm. There's also a restriction on HVTs can't be within zone of control of another HVT. So it forces them to be spread out, uh, with, with, of course, an exception that if it's not possible and both players agree that it's not possible to avoid that, you place it as far as possible. Um, then, basically, end of the game, it's 
similar to uh, supplies in that you want to have as many of those cubes controlled as possible. Uh, there's also two antennas on the midline that uh, give objective points for controlling them at the end of the game. Uh, interestingly, there's no classifieds, but there's two points for killing more specialists. And since there are six boxes that specialists have to open, uh, and by boxes I mean the HVT's heads, um, <laughs> uh, killing specialists is actually... It's a pretty high priority for this. Yeah, it's a good yeah. strategy. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, right, and of course, doctors have a bit of a bonus, uh, extracting mm -hmm. cubes. So all very thematic, all very cool. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, get in, grab some cubes, fight for the middle antennas to tie break, and then hunt your opponent's specialists uh, to impede them doing the mission, as well as score some yeah. points for yourself. So, yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, another good mission. Um, what what do you find fun about this uh, mission? What do you like? I like the variability in it again. Uh, I guess that's, that's going to be a common theme. I really like the variation present in the missions to have yeah, so it play differently each time you play it. Uh, I like that the players have to deploy them before they know who has what deployment zone. So it forces them to deploy them in neutral places. Uh, but it also has that option that, you know, if you're confident in that whip roll for initiative, uh, you could try to weight the board toward one side. Yeah, okay, okay. Right. Uh, what What about potentially using the HVTs to improve a deployment side or or hamper a deployment edge? Oh, I haven't thought of that. To make one... So, so for if, example, you think one side is crappy, yes. uh, as in you prefer not to be mm -hmm. placed there. Uh, if you, you don't, if you lose an uh, initiative roll, you don't want to be placed there. But if you are forced mm -hmm. into it, you put you at least you'll have good access to HVTs by the way you deploy them. I hadn't thought of that approach, uh, which probably is even more reason that this is looks like a good scenario. Uh, the the game starts before initiative, uh, just the deployment of the HVTs, because one approach I thought of is. Well, if I know my opponent's faction doesn't have good access to super jump and climbing plus, uh, while you still have to respect normal HVT deployment, you could put it in a spot that is more easily accessible by climbing plus or super jump than on the ground. Right, right, right. right. But the HVTs have to stay correct, on correct. ground level. But, uh, what you're saying but the is train that to that in level. between them and you, mm. you might put in a spot like down a blind alley that yeah. you mm. could jump over quickly, but your opponent can't. I'm not. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, or you could just uh, try and uh, avoid gambling and then just leave them right in the middle, mm. in the middle of the line. So it doesn't matter what side of the board you get, right? So yeah, a lot, a lot of meta gaming. I think that's what's. I think there's a lot of mm. meta gaming in this. The deployment of the HVTs mm -hmm. for sure. Now that is an added complexity to the yes. mission. So I think this is we did touch on some of these missions being a bit more complicated mm -hmm. than traditional ITS missions. But um, 
but I think I think there is yeah, but it, there is it is I guess balanced out uh, against that nice little meta game that kind of happens uh, with mm-hmm. that. So yeah, I think yeah, I like it. Um, and yeah, the yeah doing before the um, before the deployment, I think, and the initial role is a very unique uh, mm-hmm. approach as well. So I think yeah, it's good. And there's a I think, and generally speaking, you whichever side you get, you're probably going to get a couple. Um, this is what I find fun. I think you're going to cu- get a couple of the HVTs early and easy. Mm-hmm. So they extract a couple of the cubes early and easy, easily. And then the third or the fourth or the middle ones that um, might start be getting harder. And then the game, the tension, the game will build yes. where you kind of have to start taking more and more risks. I think that's a nice. Uh, that'd be a nice kind of. Uh, I think that's a that would that make the scenario. Well, fun. and the minimum so, distance yeah. between HVTs also means that. Uh, you do have that progressive. I can get the easy one, and then there's the next one that's a little bit tougher, and the next one that's a little bit tougher. Uh, yeah, yeah ab- no, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think there's... Um, you know what else you could do, just on the top of the head, just taking your idea from the previous mm-hmm. mission? You could even divide the center, uh, the middle of the um, uh, board, so mm-hmm. the the, uh, the four zones, the same way it's done in Frontline, mm-hmm. And then you could put a restriction to put uh, the, a maximum of two HVTs can be uh, in each quadrant. So then there's that same meta game that you explained mm-hmm. in Skyfall, but with uh, with this sort of scenario. That's another way. Possibly, I find the way. It, it, I think it, it already it. covers that with the minimum it. distance. Uh, yeah, you could very well be right. Um, well, in theory, you could have three in one. Yes. One. Yeah. You you yeah, could yeah. have it no, weighted think, yeah. toward one, but then you're favoring one side no, of the board not. before you know deployment. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. What do you think uh, makes this mission balanced? I do think, you think it's, it's balanced, balanced first of all? Um, because it's effectively yep. supplies with a novel deployment for objectives. And because that's done prior to initiative, uh, any risk that a player wants to take by putting them in favorable spots, uh, they've got kind of that roughly 50-50 that they're going to have access to that favorable spot. Yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, that, I think that's... Yeah, the, uh, that has a big mm-hmm. part to play in yeah. the balance of, of things. I... Um, I think Hak Islam's Hakim's oh, really enjoy this. Yes. <laughs> Just appearing. <laughs> Beautiful supplies. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yeah, no, I also like hilarious. that in addition to normal supplies plus odd deployment for objectives, uh, it also adds the two antennas in the middle of the board. Which means yeah, that that's true. you can't just go in there and grab a bunch of cubes and run back yeah. and turtle in your deployment zone. Because end of the game... Mm-hmm. You still got two objective points that are up there in the middle of the board. That's right. That is true. So yeah, the, and then if you can more specialist, you can still yeah. win the scenario. So there's multiple ways to win the scenario, and having that centralized object uh, presence of uh, points, uh, yeah. points in the middle, uh, encourages. Make sure players don't just part ways after yes. meeting, kissing in the middle, sort of thing. Uh, so yep, I think it's very well designed from that aspect. Um, and yeah, turn one or turn two. What would you pick if you uh, when you plan this mission? I'd probably go turn two uh, because I would yeah, rather take the side that I felt 
I could better get into, and because um, I'll be writing Hakim's, so uh, they don't get alpha struck. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true, and it's easier to control the mm -hmm. uh, middle objectives yep. as well, and kind of snipe mm -hmm. off your opponent's dudes. But having said that, that's a lot yes. of things to do in your last turn. So, yeah. Um, but and first, but the thing is, first turn you could scalp yes. your opponent's specialists and make it really hard for them to for the next three turns. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, this mission does yeah, want a lot uh, of specialists because you can't mm, cover like your normal amount of specialists aren't necessarily going to be able to cover that much board space. Yeah. Nah, it's going to be mm -hmm. yeah, there's a, a lot to get done. So yeah, what about creativity? What do you think? Uh, you yes. think this mission's creative uh, or kind of follow? I think it's got just the yeah. right amount of creativity for a new ITS mission because yeah, okay. it takes. It builds on an existing mission that's tested. It's we know it's a good balanced mission, and it adds more replayability and more variety to the mission without risking much of the way of balance. Mm. Yeah, the the introduction of the new deployment mechanics probably going to be the most mm -hmm. problematic. Of it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that, I think that's going to be the the one that's mm -hmm. going to come under the most strain from uh, massive expo mass exposure. If mm -hmm. this was added to an ITS or any sort of uh, regular play document, uh, I think that uh, deployment mechanic. I think I'm sure players are going to work out to yes. max it or uh, abuse it, or uh, so that's going to be the the point uh, of weakness for this mission for me. Uh, but in terms for for me, uh, I think in terms of where someone might find a fault mm -hmm. or an abuse in the mission. I think it should stand up pretty well, but uh, but it is but it is a complete new mechanic, which is super creative, right? And uh, mm -hmm. but it is like you said, borrowing on a couple yes. of well-known tropes of supplies slash um, acquisition I, with the antenna. So yeah, so really, really I think good you're right in that well. there'll probably be a little bit of a learning curve to the new mechanic. Mm -hmm. But we saw that at the start of ITS 14 with cryogenics, where you got a mission that True. was a little bit more complicated True. and. It took a while for players to figure out different approaches, and I don't think we've still we've even settled toward the end of the season on a best approach to that mission. I think, yeah. Well, I think because yeah, a lot of people were pushing their nearest two buttons uh, when they first yeah. started playing cryogenics, right? And then just giving the HVTs to the opponent because yeah. you most likely failed, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh well, I guess I have mm -hmm. to go to my opponent's side, and that's mm -hmm. a lot harder than having one at least one HVT on your side. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the, but I think learning curve, yeah, having a mission have a learning curve in the new ITS. Yes. I think that's been pretty yes, enjoyable. Um, using cryogenics. Yeah, I, th I think that's been. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. actually a good experience for an ITS document. So, yeah. Um, and of course, uh, if people aren't enjoying the mission, there's 19 other missions in uh, ITS. So there's, it's. I think there's no reason Cobras Valley mm -hmm. don't take a risk with some missions. Now, one thing, one thing you actually I noticed your data was missing. Uh, yeah. Not to be critical, but um, you didn't. Uh, in terms of deployment. Um, oh, most missions were 12 well, inches, right? Almost uh, every mission in this was 12 inches. I think there was one that was eight, yes. and we will discuss that. Uh, I Whoop. don't think there was... Uh, actually, hang on. Give me just a sec. Uh, I need to pull up a different file. Because um, I've got all my table layout diagrams in one file. So this might take a moment to open. <laughs> 
I'm in, I'm going to rant on my thought uh, just quickly. So one of the improvements I was uh, thinking for this mission. So I touched on it. Uh, I think the mission's fine. I think actually the mission's quite balanced. Uh, like I said, I think the potential uh, weakness might be in that initial mechanic, but that might just be a learning curve, like Nick said. Um, I'm thinking maybe increasing the deployment to 16 inches, um, and uh, but that would probably make the HVTs too tight because it only leaves 24 inches for them to deploy and they will have to be eight inches apart. Uh, but I guess then you could play around with how close the proximity of the HVTs could be. If you did that, um, you could just because, remove yeah. the four inches from deployment zone. Yeah, yeah, that's pro yeah, you probably could. Um, I'll also be curious to see how this plays out. Basically, the, I was a little bit worried that there wasn't enough to kind of encourage players to stay engaged with each other until turn three. So I guess kind of like maybe potentially grabbing your, uh, like scalping your HVTs and then bugging out and then just kind of trying to snipe one of theirs last turn. But I think after thinking about it and reading the mission, I think the middle antennas played enough of a role to keep the players centralized. I think that has enough of uh, a role and to kind of avoid that so got an answer for you uh excluding the missions that had weird like not normal deployment, deployment zones either asymmetric or non-existent or like, weird tetris piece deployment zones uh there was only one that had an eight inch deployment zone every other one had 12 inch yeah, interesting. Okay, okay, yeah. I think that's probably the hardest part to calibrate, uh, yes. to play with. I don't think... Yeah, that's a hard part of the mission to kind of um, play mm -hmm. with and calibrate uh, for custom mission. The yep. deployment zone 12 is just safe, and there's already... You're already, when writing a new mission, trying to change so many parts that, like... The yeah, I think starting with 12 for a new mission it, and then adjusting it based on how it plays is probably a good place to go. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to add on this uh, mission? Anything you want to mention? I guess if it were up to me, I would just replace supplies with extraction in ITS, but it's not up to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, basically, uh, all right, so we have extract and escape. Uh, so I think the, uh, this is the yes. author synopsis, isn't it? Um, I think you, uh, yep. Uh, an aspect of the Aleph has sensitive intel that has gone rogue and is transmitting itself to a remote comm station. Activate the beacons to facilitate its download. Transfer the aspect into the comms gear of your hackable troops by dominating the objective room. Then secure the sensitive intel by extracting the AI's cause. Um, each game round has a set of objectives that can only be scored during that round. Each builds thematically and mechanically on the previous, uh, but nothing requires the previous round's objectives. So basically, this is the one. This is the mission that's constantly evolving. Uh, from my yes, uh, from yes, it's the one memory, that so you basically play a different yes. mission each round of the game. To, to paraphrase yes, the author, uh, it's yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it's. Effectively, yeah, it's a mission by Toasty and Cavrion. I think uh, Cavrion's quite a well-known um, play on TTS, and uh, Toasty's a New York City walker, apparently. Um, Self-proclaimed, or well, obviously probably genuine. But yeah, this mission is wicked, uh, reading it. So effectively, what it's trying to get you to do is it's making you think one step ahead. Right, so turn one, you can achieve one objective and then the window to achieve that objective closes 
and then round two, another one opens up. So you're constantly having to set up for the next turn as well as achieve objectives in this turn. So I think this is probably one of the few missions that we're going to read yes. through the scoring just so people understand because it's such an integral uh, part of the mission. Maybe mention what the, so the board looks like. Um, so oh, for yeah, this okay. mission, there's sure, 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 sure. a objective room in the middle. Uh, there is a 40 mil objective in the middle of that. And then there are two that are eight inches in from the side on the center line. There's also an exclusion zone that's four inches out from the middle on either side. So one of the smaller exclusion zones that we mentioned. Right. Yes, absolutely. So effectively, uh, a combination of uh, an objective room, uh, the same setup, I believe, as maybe acquisition or uh, I think maybe similar acquisition, the, but they're a little bit. Uh, I think they're. Acquisition's 12 inches and they're 8 inches. They're wider, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're 8 inches on the sides. Um, and then finally, the... Yeah, so it's like a combination of uh, acquisition, supremacy, and supplies yeah. to a degree. Yeah, that, that you, sums it up pretty well. That? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. So, so turn one, uh, you want to activate the beacons. So the three beacons in the middle, you oh, want to get sorry. to them, you want to activate There are two beacons, one they're on either side. The one in the middle, in the objective room, is something different. Yeah. Oh, is that something Because you need to activate the beacons oh, to so open the objective room. Three? But the objective room is rounds two and three. Um, right. Okay, okay, so I misunderstood that. So so the two beacons on the yes. wide on the wide, uh, wide uh, flanks mm -hmm. is what you're fighting for turn one. Now, if you get you activate one, um, you get two points. Now, if you're the first to activate it, uh, the beacon, or at least or have two beacons activated at the end uh, of the first round, you get one objective. So there's like a, so each round has like a primary objective and a secondary. So right, so you might uh, so if you don't get the primary objective, you get the secondary. You stay in the game sort so of deal. For each of the rounds, I the think. primary objective is worth two points, but it requires you be head to head with your opponent. So it is something you are directly competing over. The secondary objective uh -huh, okay. uh, usually has one or two ways to get one point, but it doesn't require direct interaction with your opponent necessarily. So you can do that independent of what your opponent is doing. Uh, that's probably that's a much better way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, round one, uh, either activating the beacons or being the first player um, to activate the beacons or have two. And round two, it's all about dominating that objective room. So you're all of a sudden, your focus changes from the beacons on the flanks to going inside the objective room and dominating it. Now, if you can't dominate your opponent, all you have to do to score a point, you can get a hackable troop or your data tracker inside the room in a non-null state. Uh, so that gives you be worth one. Having the hackable or data tracker in the room is checked at the end of your turn, not the end of the round. So that's ah, where okay. that point doesn't compete with your opponent. If you are first player, yeah, so you can run first. one troop in there, they can score the point, and your opponent can still dominate it in the round. But you still get the point. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, that's that's true. So in a turn, not in a round. That's yeah, that's a very big distinction. And then round three, what you're trying to do with those three, um, the beacons become effectively AI cores. 
that's where you pull the AR cores out um, and you run them back effectively. Um, and yeah, end of the game round, control more AR cores than adversary. And then end of your player turn, control an AR core entirely within your deployment zone, right? So, and then finally, one objective uh, uh, then the game, have more victory points than your opponent. So then there's Just more surviving. Instead of having a class and more surviving uh instead of having a classified you have a uh, more surviving points so yeah so a lot going on uh basically the mission's constantly changing and keeping you on your toes um i think that's i think that's the most fun part of the mission it's unique it's a scoring system we've never seen before i don't think um and yeah the fluidity of the mission and the force uh, and you having to be one step ahead is really cool yes uh, um, what do you think? I really like the fluidity of how the three different steps go together. So, for instance, in round one, you want to activate the beacons. But when you activate the first beacon, then the objective room opens up. So now you can start to get in there and prepare to dominate it in round two. In ra mm. After round two, now all... and. I'll apologize, I did make a mistake. All three of them are beacons. They're identical. Uh, uh -huh. okay. so, so, but yeah. turn three now, you want to remove the AI core from the three beacons. So if you've been dominating the room, you can get that one out easy, but you've still got the two on the yeah, extreme flank that are open for grabs again. So you have to pivot. Yeah, it's and so... So I guess yeah, you're kind of I, I don't I don't think I think realistically you either play for turn one and three or maybe you play for turn one and two, but I don't think playing for all three turns is going to be very easy. It's going to be rough gonna be playing for all three. Mm, and if so you play like, yeah, for all like, three, you're going to spread yourself thin, and your opponent's going to yeah. be able to take out one of those options. Yes, absolutely, and uh, so it's almost like uh, lose the battle to win yes. the war in some of the turns. Um, that sort of approach. So, and, yeah, and I that think, brings up another point yeah, that I had. I like that if you lose one turn, one round, you don't lose the game. Uh, even though everything builds on each other, it doesn't require you to have succeeded prior. Yep. Uh, and having the ability to. There's no immediate scoring in this, but there's end of turn yeah. scoring in this, so you can do it independent of your opponent having uh, much of an effect, effect yeah, uh, which, so to speak. Which actually does of some of the things that I like about immediate scoring, where even if you're even if you're being crushed, you can still pick up something, and that means you're not as long as you keep yeah. trying and keep playing, you don't fall mm -hmm. as far behind as if you give up. Mm. So I guess it is immediate, immediate scoring in the sense that it's immediate at the end of your turn rather than the round. Because once the points Correct. are locked in, they're locked in. Yeah. There's nothing your opponent can do. So yeah, it does have immediate mm. scoring. So I misspoke actually. Um, so yeah, well, from a balance point of view, what do you think? Um, I will preface this by it. I haven't played the mission. I would love to play the mission. Uh, a lot of my opinions on it are going to be predicated that I haven't played it and I need to play it first. Uh, yeah. I think it Oh, right, we're here to I think it looks balanced. The degree of balance, I'm not sure about until I play it. Um, yeah. It's got yeah, too many okay. moving parts for me to play it out in my head. Mm. That's a good thing, I think. I think that's a that's a 
I think that's a vote of confidence. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a positive yeah, yes. rather than negative because uh, means the mission is not solved by reading it. Yeah, so there, there's there no glaring errors. I think it looks great, um, but it might be that I play it, I find some little nuanced case in a corner that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the mission is. I think one of the things that encourages me to suggest the mission is probably balanced. Uh, two things. One, it's written by a very experienced player. Uh, probably two experienced players, to be honest. I don't know Toasty, uh, but I've heard of Carrion. So I think there's, uh, I guess, an appeal to authority there. Um, whilst also the mission, the, the scenario's not trying to get you to do anything you've never done yes. before, right? You've, we've all played supplies, we've played, all played armory, we've all played um, acquisition. So these are things that are being done in Infinity and they play fun and they're balanced, uh, but doing them but the, the the real sticking point is how is it having to uh, do things at certain points in the game, right? Uh, how does that interact with some factions having more uh, yes. forward deploying troops, mm -hmm. faster troops, faster specialists, more diverse specialists, mm -hmm. toolbox units? How does that play out, right? That's And also, I think the real balance in the game is going to come from both players understanding how the game works and knowing what turns to fight for rather than being caught up in fighting every single turn for every yes. single part the mission i think that i think that's where if your opponent is that, thinking that, think one turn ahead and you are not you will lose absolutely absolutely that's right so uh something something yes. tempo tempo um, <laughs> yeah. um now creativity what do you reckon i uh, do you think this is yes. a creative approach yeah like you said it takes a bunch of existing concepts and a bunch of existing mechanics that work and have been used long enough to be tested uh and mixes them up and provides something that almost feels like a narrative scenario, but I think would work in ITS. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that the creativity comes from the twist on the actual scoring mechanics of the game. I think yeah, it's beautiful. It's 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 it's, like, it's it's a really simple way to do it, but it's a really clever yes. way to do it as well. So I think yeah, mm -hmm. big props. Well done, guys. That's awesome. Very really awesome. Improvements. I think we both agreed here. Yeah, have to play. It yeah, have to play it on any improvements. Yeah, you have to play it. And yeah, it's a shame that the custom mission uh, tournament only had slots for three, um, because this would be an excellent. Oh, we could improve. run a three-day um, tournament off of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, off this thing. Off all the missions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you really could. Um, excellent. No, really good mission. And look, all these missions, five out of five stars for me. Um, they've all been, they're all great so far. So, so far, we've covered Skyfall, Extraction, and uh, Extract and Escape. Um, now we're up to containment fields. So, Nick, do you want to yeah. give us a synopsis or a rundown? So, uh, there's been a massive radiation leak, and it's headed your way. Good thing there's these protective field generators nearby. Be a shame if someone sabotaged them. Uh, so containment field is complicated. There's no way around that, but it's worth it. There's a hazard field that moves in from both players' table edges, kind of like Biotech 4. It's more forgiving at the start of the game. It's harsher at the end of the game. There's The only safe place on the table is a bubble around three containment field generators that are put along the central line. Players have to both first activate these to make them work, but they could also destroy them. 
players score by turning on the generators and by dominating the bubble around the generators each round. With the note that if there's no generator, there's no bubble to dominate. Yeah. So this is a so mission that has zones of operation that turn on and off. Great. And the zones are the only thing that keep you, the, uh, you safe in the biotech vault. Oh, yeah, that's that whole uh, dying thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole dying thing. So, so basically, get to the middle, survive the engagement with the opponent uh, in the middle, and then just hope they don't turn off the power uh, to your generator. Yeah. And hope, yeah, so it's, there's a, yeah, it's complicated. Um, it's lethal. This mission is fucking lethal um, on paper. Uh, maybe, uh, I like the previous, let me go through and read off the three turn, or the three round progression of radiation. Yeah, for sure. So, go for it. Go for it. on game round one, uh, basically nothing happens. The radiation exists, you're aware of it, but it has no effect on the game. Round two, at the start of each player's turn, all troopers uh, that are... Basically, uh, basically, everything in your deployment zone has to make a BTS versus 14. If they fail, they enter the stunned state. And total immunity does not protect you from this. So it's not going to kill them, but if you stun them, it's going to be rough to get them out of there. Round three is where it gets lethal. Uh, At the start of each player's turn, all troopers on the table belonging to the active player that are not wholly within a containment field must make a BTS versus 14. If they fail, they take a wound and enter the stun state. Yeah. Yep. 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 And no immunity special skills apply. Yep. Um, Yeah, rough. Uh, Now, obviously, your engineers don't suffer this, Uh, uh, apparently. Is that right? The engineers have radiation shielding, which means that they don't get stunned by the radiation leak, but they will still take damage and... Other stuff like they'll lose their marker state if they have one. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, there's a key ops list that also basically picks up that special. Yeah, that that special mm-hmm. skill. Um, all right. So, what is fun about this mission? You. Uh, on top of the fact that it is a challenging and complex mission that I think works well as a whole. Um, you have many different approaches to it, and none of them are perfect, and all of them hurt you. Oh, yeah. So you can go and turn the generator on. If your opponent destroys that generator, sure, they will hurt your models, but they've just reduced their scoring abilities. Because if you destroy the generator, the zone of operations goes away, and you can't score it. Zone of operations yeah. are scored every round. Also, every round you get a point for dominating more than your opponent. And mm-hmm. then there's end of game scoring for having them as well. So, right. so I, it's a tough choice because going into turn three, sure, you can get in there and turn off your opponent's uh, field generator, uh, which which are not the easiest things to destroy. 
Uh, so think um, AC2s from looting sabotage, but they have armor three and no PTS. So we're talking three structure with automated defense system only can be damaged by melee with antimaterial. Anti mm -hmm. That's right. Now, um, yeah, look, I'd agree. Uh, the mission, the mission's fun uh, because it does a couple of things, right? It really forces the players to go into the middle, right? Meet each other in the middle, fight over that central uh, objective, score at the end of every round so you can make calculated sacrifices of how much you want to trade your pieces for uh, to score objectives, right? So, because everything's going to die effectively, um, eventually, most likely. Um, and yeah, do you sabotage your opponents? Do you get in there early, try to get a point lead? There's a lot of ways to play it, but it is a very difficult mission. It's, yes, and it's going to be harsh. Um, the yeah, and the multiple ways to play it. The requirement of troops to play this mission. Uh, I think you made mention this is a mission that might be worth running a list for if it was ever in a tournament. Like yes, a specific list just for this mission. This is the type of mission that you sit down for a tournament and you write a list for this and you see what else that a list applies to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, it's also got a very nice thematic aspect to it, right? It Unlike feels like Biotech being... 4, but with more nuance, and it doesn't feel like you are constantly running. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, Oh, you probably are. I probably, uh, uh, you, if you play, well, you probably are constantly okay. running. Okay, you're not immediately punished for not running to the middle, uh, but you yes. will be penalized later for not doing that. Yes, that's <clears> true. <throat> that's true. Um, but from like a thematic <clears throat> point of view, like you can just imagine oh. like radio spill, uh, like a radioactive spill, uh, containment spill, <clears throat> some sabotage mission, sabotage missions gone wrong, and yeah, you're just trying to stay alive. I don't know just. There's there is a nice yeah there's a nice like uh, movie in your head that's created by this mission. Yes. I think that's that's what that's a part of it that makes it fun mm -hmm. for me. Um, balance though, what do you think? I had some concerns about first player infiltrating three specialists and flipping all three generators on for them because the generators cannot be changed from player to player. Uh, there's points oh. for scoring the generator. Yes. So if your opponent turns on the generator, it is their generator for the entire game. Your only recourse is to destroy it. However, um, ran the points, but and if first player turns on all three generators, second player can still win 7-3. So... Because they can dominate it. Uh, yes, they can still dominate them. And if the first person spent time turning on all three generators, they didn't alpha. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Unless, so, unless they somehow... Yeah. I, I think it is balanced. But it doesn't necessarily appear quite as balanced to begin with. Yeah. Okay, okay. Could you sit, watch the world burn and uh, destroy all three generators? You can. Turn one. And that would be an interesting then? approach. The, the fact that 
you score by dominating at the end of every game round means that unless you do that on turn one and you can't sabotage them until they have been activated by your opponent. So uh, the potential not, scenario not, would be yeah, okay. player one infiltrates three specialists, turns them all on. Player two infiltrates three mm -hmm. specialists with D charges and blows all three of them up. Uh, at that point, I think you can get a 0-0 zero, zero game, which is a really yeah, spiteful beautiful. thing to do. Uh, <clears throat> which is basically yes. what a nuclear war because would be. Because no one game. dominates uh, any of so, them. Yeah, no uh, but it. it would not be in second player's best interest to do that because all they have to do is dominate those three zones and they're up by... Uh, uh, by two points. That's right. Um, so okay. So okay. So balance not not the balance isn't obviously there. Mm -hmm. Unlike the previous three missions, maybe it's not obvious there, but it's it's more so. balanced than not probably mm -hmm. uh, from reading. But it is a complicated mission, so reading it probably is enough. Again, playing it um, is probably the best thing to do with creativity? this. Um, creativity wise, I yeah, what do you really think? like the ability to turn. Zone of, zone of operations on and off. Uh, because that means that if a player is in the lead, if they are just crushing the board, they can't go, they can't relax. Because the opponent, if they've got a model with D charges, they can get in there. Uh, that zone control disappears. And the opponent's model troops take damage. So just dominating the zone isn't enough. You have to protect the generator that's creating the zone that you dominate. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So you're yeah. So you're saying if you don't dominate, you're gonna lose troops. If you because generally in Infinity, you you don't want to fight you don't want to dominate a button because you don't want to lose troops, right? But in this one, you're gonna lose troops either way. So you may as well put people on arrow potentially Correct. to just try to keep it safe. Uh, uh, it's so yeah. No. It's not as Great. simple as I have more troops in here, okay. I win, because it only takes one enemy troop in there and you lose. Yeah. Um yeah, for me, I think it is creative. No, no. Um, sorry, do yeah, you have that, that, any more on the creativity? That's basically sorry. it. Oh, and the exclusion zone being only four inches on each side was nice. Uh, it yeah, means yeah. you can't start on top of the objectives. You have to put some orders to get to them. Uh, I think more importantly, it means that you can't... Player two can't camp the objectives, and it leaves it open for player one to go grab those instead of alpha mm -hmm. Or alpha in. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, you can still use deployables to kind of discourage people because yes. it's only four inches. Mine's obviously have an eight-inch template. Mm -hmm. So there's still a bit of that. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I think, yeah, look, for me, uh, it's a combination of like your bun mashing, zone of control, fighting in the middle, mm -hmm. and biotech war. There's a lot of things going on. So generally speaking, if you're button pushing, um, you're usually fighting in the middle. You're usually not fighting for a zone of control. It's usually push the buttons and dominate uh, or grab something, get out or hold an antenna, but you're not also dominating the zone. Nor are you being threatened by a, by a tech war um, zone either. So there's a, the mission is trying to incorporate almost four stars of mission into one. So yeah, really 
really yeah that, and i think it's pretty creative um and doing it in a way where it actually kind of works is uh pretty yep. creative so a big nod and a big thumbs up there um improvement wise um i personally one of the things i'm always skeptical um i've been mm-hmm. playing for so long so maybe this is a problem my problem mm-hmm. um, a me problem I'm really skeptical of any mission that has a neutral way to hurt you. So or have it has a mechanic that uh, a neutral mechanic that can potentially hurt you or decide the game. Now, uh, I think that probably is shared by a couple mm-hmm. of people in the sense that a lot of people shy away from pain and panic room or biotech war because that that can be a pretty uh, challenging mechanic to kind of lose a game to. Um, but that's not to say that this mechanic's not uh, precedented. Mm-hmm. It is in Panic Room and Biotech 4, and that mis- those missions are enjoyed by people. So I think, even though I'm skeptical about uh, taking damage mid- mission, it's not doesn't break the mission. But I, I don't I don't really know I how to fix it. I think this a friendlier really version you, yeah. of Biotech 4, or actually a friendlier version of Panic Room, uh, in that there are more Panic Rooms, but they're not that simple. Uh, it also doesn't punish you as immediately for not clearing your deployment zone. That's one of the problems mm. I usually have with Panic Room and Biotech 4, is figuring out, mm. and writing the list, how am I going to move my entire army out of my deployment zone while yeah. still doing something about the rest of the scenario and my opponent? Yeah, no, nah, that's that's true. Um, I think Panic Room does it better than Biotech 4. Panic Room's like yes, four inches, yeah. eight. And it's slower. Twelve. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Biotech is yeah. brutal. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Look, another good mission. Uh, another unique and uh, difficult mission. Probably the most difficult mission. Uh, or maybe not the most difficult. Um, actually, probably one of the most difficult. Yeah, the I think out of these five, I'd it's say. it's one of the most difficult of the non narrative missions yes yeah yeah 100 percent, 100%. um right uh thank you for writing this synopsis for me actually um i appreciate okay. that uh this is the, ne- the next mission is supply raid uh perfectly slapping new shipping labels on boxes you run out of labels just smash the box and steal the contents Basically, there are nine crates containing supply boxes and two routes of scoring. First, you can activate the crate. If it's active at the start of your next turn, it's removed from the game and you score it. Second, you can smash the crate and grab the supply box inside it, but you'll have to hold on to it until the end of the game to score it. So, but Tristan, and to be honest, I think this mission is brilliant. It's really fun to play. It's, it does look really fun, and there is a unique mechanic to it as well. Uh, but just to explain the deployment a little bit, uh, it is like tic-tac-toe for players who've not been playing Infinity very long. What that means is there's actually nine uh, supply boxes deployed. So um, one right in the middle of the table, uh, 12 inches on either side of it, one 12 inches on either side of it, and then one 8 inches, uh, and then that's repeated um, 8 inches or 4 inches outside it's a grid of three by three. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Geez, I was struggling yeah. so badly. I'm, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> um, can't they just see it? Can't they visualize it? These idiots. Uh, what do I have to explain? Uh, no. But yeah, so it's a grid of three by three. Um, and what you're looking to do is you're just trying to activate the antennas as many as you can. Um, and then turn three, the mission kind of pivots um, to a degree. Yes. So I guess we can probably uh, talk about you, turns yeah. one and two 
because I think that's the core of it. And then turn three is a nice little, it's a pivot, but it kind of also wraps the scenario up nicely. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So basically, turn one and two, what you're trying to do is you're trying to activate the supply box effectively, right? Yes. So you do that with, uh, I believe, a specialist has to do that? Uh, at, when I edited this, anybody? one of my issues was I had to figure out how to differentiate the two types of items that you're interacting with. So I've got shipping crate and supply box. Mm -hmm. So to that, right. yeah, don't overlap. So basically, you've right, got shipping right, right. crate, which is the 40 mil objective, and inside of it is a supply box. Uh huh. Yep. Right. And turn one and two, you can't touch the supply box. You can't oh. extract the supply box, right? Rather, or can you? So there's there's two ways to do it. The more complicated but safer option is to activate the supply box, the shipping crate. Basically, this is where you slap your shipping label on it. Yes. If at the start of your next turn, your supply label is still on the shipping crate, it ships, mm -hmm. and yep. the supply box is yours because it's now controlled by you off the table. Yes. If it is not, then it doesn't resolve. The other way is that you can try to destroy the shipping crate and grab the supply box that pops out of it. That's right. So now my confusion was, can you destroy them turn one and two, or can you uh, only destroy them turn three? You can destroy them at any time. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, sorry, just... I believe you can target them... Okay, can, it's kind oh, of sorry, you can only target a shipping crate that has been activated by the opposing player, or has been locked by the EI, which happens during turn three. So you can only destroy the crate yes. if the, it would ship to your opponent. So right. if your opponent's right. crate so is activated, you have two options to stop them. Mm -hmm. You could activate it yourself, so replace their shipping label with your shipping label and starts the timer over again. Mm -hmm. Or you can just destroy the shipping crate. And when you destroy it, a supply box pops out, yes. it sits on the table, and it's now like any other supply box. As you have control of it at the end of the game, right. it's yours. Right. So, and that's, and then basically in a really roundabout way, we've just de described the unique mechanic to the scenario. The unique mechanic being for you to uh, score a uh, supply box, um, uh, crate, I think you were referring to it as, a yes. supply, shipping crate, whatever. But you have to activate it. But has to stay active until your next turn so your opponent has a chance to come up to it and activate it back and stop you from scoring it and then if you don't reactivate that box or destroy it your opponent's going to score the next their, their next turn so it creates an opportunity to react to your opponent activating a box so so it's immediate so it's giving you a chance to score immediately with a slight delay so you can lock in points throughout the game but it gives your opponent a chance to respond it, it allows fair interactions that? that take place over one game round but resolve on each mm -hmm. player's turn so it removes the often issue with end of round scoring where it favors player two because player one can't react with this, 
everything yes. takes one round to resolve, which means regardless of if you're player one or player two, the opposing player always has one full turn to react to what you did before you score it. Absolutely. Now, we're probably making this sound a lot more complicated than it is. It's actually really intuitive once yes. you read it. Um, obviously, these missions will be posted, and we'll give you uh, Tristan's direct email so you can uh, direct all your uh, questions to him and box him as you like. Um, now, what's fun about this mission oh, to you? Wow. So you've got multiple ways of interacting with the objectives. You have multiple ways to score objectives. Mm -hmm. You have multiple ways to mess with your opponent scoring those objectives. And there's pressure for you to act early. I, 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 that just, just sums up all the wonderful things you can have about having options to approach the scenario how you see fit and the ability to change your plan depending on how the game progresses. Yeah, um, I agree. There's, yeah, there's, there's so much going on. It's awesome. Um, it's also a kind of a, a throwback to what I was mentioning previous ITSs, where it's much more, uh, there's a lot more interaction, a lot more objectives on the map to interact with. So you have less orders, more orders to focus on that and less orders to focus on fighting your opponent, whilst still being able to fight your opponent without having yes. to shoot them. Right. So you're kind of messing with them, right? So that time and mechanics, everything to this scenario. Um, this mission also pivots on the turn three, which is something uh, a little bit unique, um, but also thematic, right? So it's like the AI, EI rather, is just waking up and saying, you know what, stop messing around with my boxes and just lock them all, right? So then it also changes, it all of a sudden it changes what troops are valuable, right? Instead of having your specialists be valuable, it's all of a sudden the troops that can destroy these boxes. So your double action monks or your, or your warbands all of a sudden yeah. have a value to them, right? A different value that they didn't have turn one and two, which is, yeah, really exciting. So um, basically think, on turn yeah, three, that's, that's cool. Uh, you can no longer activate shipping crates. Your only option to score off of existing shipping crates is to destroy them and grab the uh, supply box out of them. Uh, How, yep, absolutely. And then all of a sudden... Okay. The, However, yeah, they also now have automated defense systems activated as soon as the EI locks them. So um, yes, your, um, only option, your options are reduced and become worse. Yeah, that's true. It yes. becomes harder turn three. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, now, love it. Uh, I think this mission would be really fun. Again, um, if we had more uh, time for in the custom event uh, mission event, I'd I'd add this mission in a heartbeat. Um, but from a balance point of view, what do you think? I think there's enough objectives out there uh, that it's going to be balanced. Your opponent regardless of whether you're player one or two, has one turn to react to you. And mm -hmm. turn three wraps up lovely. It puts that pressure on you to act early, which means it puts pressure on your opponent to interrupt your actions early. And mm -hmm. if none of that occurs, everything becomes more difficult. Yeah, I think... The, I think one of the keys to the balance of the mission to me is that regardless of whether you're player one or two, you have one full turn to react to your opponent before they score. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. 
Um, I think the timing mechanic does so much for it. Um, it really, like you said, alleviates the tension between uh, going first and second, uh, which is felt mm -hmm. by m most missions, um, by missions off uh, most often. Now there is still advantages to going first because you 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 set the set the pace. Yes. So going um, first, you have the option to turn the boxes on, which means they resolve first. But player yes. two gets to rule turn three. Because turn three yes. is about grabbing the objectives and holding them as soon as the game ends. And that's going to be player two's turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh -huh, you're right. Because they can activate uh, them. And they can also grab them from wait. player one. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um it's yeah, there's it's it's awesome. And it looks yeah, there's it's just, really there's a lot of interaction between players without even yes. shooting potentially. Obviously there's gonna oh, be shooting. There's always gonna be shooting, right? But I th I think you're gonna be trying to be you're gonna be so auto starved that you're gonna be trying to utilize the ARO mechanic to do the shooting more than uh the yes. turn mechanic. Almost, I think, which is awesome. Which is yeah, which is obviously yeah, which is unique to Infinity at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's cool. Um, Creativity-wise, I think we've yeah. really touched on it. The timing mechanic, awesome. Uh, great to see nine objectives mission, nine objectives mm -hmm. on, the, on the map. Uh, yeah, I think really, really uh, good. Uh, anything yeah, about the mission that gives you pause? Um, I think one of the strengths of this mission mm -hmm. is it reads very balanced, but um, that 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 transition mm -hmm. from turn two to turn three, I'd like to play it out just to because in my head it's kind of like yeah, okay, kind of I can see that jarring in my head to understand how it works. So I think I think playing it uh, playing it out just to see how that transition from turn two to turn three plays out, okay. um, just to understand that. That's the only thing I'd, I'd be. Um, Skeptical or only thing that gives me pause about the mission, and I'll start to say it's a minor concern. I would need to play it many times to see if this actually is an issue. The supply boxes require an anti-material weapon. They don't require a close combat weapon, which means you can shoot them with a missile launcher. Uh, However, Tristan, you mad? The catch to that is that the supply box drops mm. where the shipping crate was destroyed. So here you can stop the opponent's shipping crate from shipping by shooting across the board with a missile launcher, but you've just put a supply box right in front of your opponent. I don't I think yeah, those balance I out. Think... I don't know because it's it's such a small oh, no. it could be too much, it could be not enough. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, I think that's a, a play testing. Um, I think generally speaking, uh, doing this in CC is just um, more uh, safe. And from a in this perspective. scenario, but... if you destroy the shipping crate in CC, you immediately gain control of the supply block, supply box. So there's no no uh, no extra. Order. Yes, the close that's combat attack right. is yep. what gives you the supply box. Yeah, right, right, and that's a yeah. I wonder. I'm sure there's. Yeah, that's that's a very unusual. That's not an interaction that's ever seen in Infinity. I wonder if that messes with the rules a bit, uh, and I'm sure some might find a way to abuse it. Somebody smarter than me. Uh, but yeah, overall, awesome again. Uh, thank you, Tristan. Uh, great mission, well done. Um, and yeah, that's the five missions. So yeah, so overall, awesome. Uh, I'm excited to play every single one of those, yes. and I will be playing every single one of those.
um, in, in due course. Now, obviously, the, the last mission might be a bit challenging uh, to set up for TOs, but deal with it. Um, yeah, nine objectives, obviously hard to accommodate on a table and let alone our source. Now, um, one of the things we were afraid of is time because there was a lot of content to cover. Um, what we have is we have a whole bunch of honorable mentions, right? We want to go through a whole bunch of honorable mention missions, which I think were more on the creative narrative side and are really worth um, discussing. Now, I don't think we can get through them, so that's, we're going to do a spotlight episode to cover them. But what we want to do is maybe cover some honorable uh, mechanics. So we want to mention some of the mechanics that came out of them without specifically talking about the mission. Um, yeah, that's okay. So, uh, did you want to kick it off? You 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 basically yeah. summarized this pretty well. So uh, if okay, you want to maybe so run us through, I'll just thirty-six missions. In. There were a lot of innovative mechanics and going through these, pulling them out, giving them light of day. Uh, hopefully we can inspire some others to write missions that use those mechanics as well, get creativity going. So in no particular order, uh, we had forward observers being able to interact with objectives at a distance. Uh, mm -hmm. that, kind of, that breathes new life into that forgotten specialist who usually operates like he had Specialist operative, not forward observer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's that was true. Airdrop. And that was, by, that was uh, airdrop, wasn't it? Also, from airdrop, uh, once completed, objectives can be destroyed to prevent your opponent from scoring them, which adds time pressure. So in this one, you had to scan an objective box. But once you scanned it, hmm? you were free to destroy it because you didn't need it anymore. Ah, so you can destroy it to uh, lock it in your own points. Not to lock your points. Basically, both players can scan it and get points from it. Uh, it's not competitive there. Uh -huh. But once you've scanned it, you can destroy it to prevent your opponent from scanning it. So it, mm. it adds some pressure there about, oh, my opponent's completed that. That objective might disappear now. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so you're basically, it's like, are you spending the extra yes. order to destroy it? And do you think that order's worth yes. the denial that it uh, provides? Okay, yeah, nice. Yeah, I think so, that's, yeah, that's uh, cool. So, zone of controls being able to be turned off from containment field. Yep. Zone of operations. Oh, sorry, zone yep. of operations, yep. yes. So, uh, cover that one. New scoring method from Data Heist, which is in our honorable mentions, but that'll be in the supplemental episode. Uh, basically... More points allowed for more nuance and variety in scoring methods. Uh, you ha instead of scoring directly to objectives, you scored to a like intermediate point currency, and then those intermediate currencies bought you objective points at the end. Uh, that allowed you yep, to be yep. able to score one to four points off of different aspects, but then convert them into more reasonable objective points at the end. Uh, Yes, that's yeah. So that was um. I think Heloise yeah. spoke highly of that yeah. mission and mechanic. So what does what does he know? But we, you know, um, but yeah. So that that's that that's cool. So that, they might be actually borrowing something from there. But yeah, he really liked that idea. So I think it was. I think Data Heist is basically you're trying to control uh, some five G antennas. Yeah, you could. Some, you were trying to download data, quarantine. and there were many different methods. The riskier methods involved more resources being downloaded. The less risky methods involved less. So it was your risk reward, but because 
they and, used um, an intermediate currency, uh, they could have more nuance in how those methods scored. Yes, yeah, so you can maybe start um, uh, safely uh, or conservatively and then ramp up your yep. extraction or risk um, yep. or vice versa. So yeah, so, uh, really cool. Uh, really, really Intelcom, we had one innovative use of Intelcom where it required a classified that had been completed as opposed to throwing away a, an uncompleted classified card. The trade-off for this was it was a far more impactful benefit. Uh, you actually got to cancel out one of your opponent's skill rolls on an objective. So I liked it because I rarely think of Intel comms as worth even reading. Uh, but in this case, it was something that, yes, it costs more. You need to use a completed objective. But the result you could get of it could cl clench the game for you. It's a resource yes. management. Yeah. It's an objective uh, point and resource that was management, from right? Demolition so, run, if I didn't mention it. Correct. No. Yeah. Yeah. That and that. That's one of the missions that's going to be part of the uh, custom ordinance event uh, that we're running. So, yeah, that's that's uh, going to be good. Next, um, we had objective timers. Uh, this was both demolition run and supply raid. Uh, slightly different approaches, but basically, you started a timer on an objective and you got objective points once it resolved. Uh, drop shipping. Demolition. Was um, so Demeron yes. was a bomb, and supply raid was uh, shipping was crates. Supply raid one. Shipping crates. Ah, okay. Yep. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The one we just covered. Jesus. Um. Yep. So yeah. So yeah, we had uh, in drop shipping, it had a secondary table <laughs> in the sky that had interesting uh, yep. aerial deployment trooper interactions. I love this one. I love this. And the mission gives you a uh, bashy, so you got at least one drop troop. So effectively, in the mission, not, uh, we'll cover it in more detail, but effectively, uh, the ship takes off and you get points for dominating the ship. Now, you might have not had time to get people on the ship, but you can always land your drop troops onto it, even though it's off the table. So, I don't know, thematically, it's just so cool, just the idea of like these you know, um, pirates raiding the ship or your drop troops just um descending up onto this uh moving ship and just breaching it it's very cool uh, had cool. two missions that involved evacuating your own models from the table uh emergency evac and rocket ride uh where yeah that was really interesting they were similar weren't they they were uh, really similar they missions were from two in that you evacuated models but they took two different approaches to how to balance evacuation of models uh one was a uh bulk yes. Uh, and the other one was trickle. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, no, really, that was really cool. But yeah, so and that's obviously that that that's a that mechanic is basically trading. It's it's a really hard one. You're trading basically v, uh, yes. v, uh, army points for objective points, right? Um, and it's it's hard because if you go too hard, all of a sudden you have enough to defend yourself, well, and then your opponent can just wipe you out. You, don't go you have enough. to leave enough on the board no, that you yeah. can reduce your opponent's army down to the point that they can't evacuate enough troops to compete with the troops that you've evacuated. 
yeah it's it's a really tricky one i wonder i wonder like it, it it's cool from like a problem solving point of view like uh to it's a cool mechanic or a cool mm-hmm. scoring system from a problem solving point of view but from a gameplay point of view i'm wondering um how it would go because obviously the whole point of playing the game is to have play around with your miniatures and have them stay on the board so taking them off the board just to score points uh, i don't know yeah I've, we've got at least one of them in honorable that, mentions that so that's probably fun. we can discuss that yeah yeah, yeah we'll uh go. we had okay. turn limited objectives true, true. from escape and or extract and escape which we already mentioned where turn one you had these objectives turn two you had different ones and turn three you had even different ones and you could not score yeah, from the yeah. previous round it was yeah. score them during that round or don't score them at all no. that's right that's right um yeah uh, no. and uh player deployed objectives uh we had that in extraction which we covered skyfall which we covered and then secure and defend uh all three had different approaches to how they balanced players placing the objectives and i think all of them were balanced so it was great to see three different approaches uh really like that it adds that variety and replayability where each time you play the mission it's going to be different yeah, no, that's yeah, that is that's that's uh, we had very, very good. one where the zone of operations moved around based on game conditions, and that was payload. So depending on who scored yeah. this, this the objective, was... the zone would move toward their opponent. Yeah, this is this is straight out of Overwatch. I'm not sure if you play video games, but this is a really clever way to incorporate a very successful mechanic from a FPS game, which has been which is an approach which other missions have taken as well, by the way, um, and try and incorporate it into the miniature setting. So uh, obviously, um, capture protect is a capture the flag. Um, uh, uh, taking uh, borrowing from capture the flag. Um, mechanics of a video game whilst demolition runs taking from like a counter-strike where you're planting bombs and this is obviously taking from the overwatch payload so yeah um that's that's a really yeah it's a pretty unique uh, mechanic the next cool. one is i would say it's a fairly minor new mechanic and i think it can be incorporated into a lot of missions uh and that was objective mods get worse as the game progresses and that was by science by fear so in the first turn you got a plus three mod to interacting with the objective. Turn two, it was zero. And turn three, it was a minus three mod. So encouraging you to get there sooner to activate it. Yeah, right. And that, that, and that obviously uh, puts pressure on alpha striking. So it's like, if you yes. alpha strike, you're giving up your best time to score. Right. Uh, and that was, I believe, Science by, by um, oh, oh, the sorry. host of Whip 12. Yeah, but the host by Wish Twelve. Um, oh no, forgotten his name. I'm so ashamed. Uh, that's okay. Um, but yeah, no, great. And we might have been be covering that in one of the honorable uh, uh, mentions. Two, well. two new mechanics from Ships in the Night. Uh, first one was no deployment zones. Uh, and the second was forced deployment and alternate and activation order. Uh, I. <clears throat> I think it's easier to describe those when we get to that mission in the honorable mentions. Yeah. That is a yeah, uh, that is um, 
Yeah, that's all. Yeah, and the again, um, designed by reading, it's madness. By reading, it sounds like madness. Um, but it is designed by Rob Shepard, so obviously uh, an appeal to authority again. So the the missions were more thought out than it reads the on first reading. So I'm keen to kind of cover that one and yeah. maybe even play test. Uh, we had the ability to lock objectives in Tic Tac Kaboom. Uh, we're basically uh you could spend more order, an additional order, to do an additional skill on the objective to lock it, which meant that your opponent had to unlock it before they could then try to activate it again. Yeah, so, right. Um, yeah, and that was, that was yeah. Yeah, one of Hector's missions. So giving yeah, that, like, well, if I spend more orders, it'll cost them more orders. Is it worth it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, resource management. Uh, we nice. had objectives radiating various effects. Uh, this was crowd control and payload. Uh, in crowd control, uh, it was kind of variant on rescue. Uh, the model, the uh, civilians that you needed to rescue were inside of a crowd, and so they had an aura that was uh, low vis and saturation. Because a crowd of civilians is a saturation oh. zone. In payload, <laughs> uh, that was one of the moving objective. Uh, it had an aura of nanoscreen, which made the moving objective more forgiving. That if it ended up in a open area of the board, it was still possible to defend it. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And that was, yeah, so if it opens, yeah, and that means more uh, compatible with uh, yes. diverse tables as well. So, uh, final really one fun. we had uh, was HVTs being used as objectives. And uh, this was upload center, extraction, imprint, undisclosed desires, science by fear, and we probably missed one because a lot of them used this. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them. I like that. It incorporated an existing game element that is often forgotten until the end of turn three when you try to figure out if you can secure the HVT. Yes, no, that's that's true. It's yeah, they really are uh, ignored until the end. Um, awesome. Um, I think I think we did really well. I think hopefully, hopefully we were able to justice to the people's efforts uh, that have taken the time to write in these missions. Uh, so thank you all again. Um, hopefully uh, people have uh, made sense of what we've been trying to describe in terms of the missions and uh, hopefully had their uh, curiosity peaked by some of this uh, episode and hopefully they take a look at the document when we release it because we'll we'll basically compile all the uh, 36 missions that were submitted and put them out to the wider uh, community for them to use as they see fit. Um, and yeah, and basically, and hopefully we've also, most of all, uh, provided some useful insight into, into, I guess, what people are potentially looking for in the, the way the mission has been designed, as well as some unique, uh, and creative approaches to the mission design, which might inspire you or yeah, might even inspire the game designer. So, um, Nick, again, big thank you for oh, putting it all to, together, uh, putting a lot to of the data that. together. Um, that was awesome. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, I definitely want to do a spotlight to cover some of the honorable mentions because there was a lot of uh, um, a lot of good missions to really cover. So, 
Um, yeah, anything from you? Anything you want to uh, shout uh, say, out? Or, thank you to uh, all the people yes, who submitted this. Uh, it was incredible to go through all these missions, the creativity in there uh, of taking existing mechanics and tweaking them or adding a small new mechanic that made existing mechanics work in a completely different light. Uh, it was, in my opinion, we could probably make an ITS out of this, but I realize, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Not an official idea. No. No, it was yeah, I think yeah, you yeah, and it's and it's a nice yes. test to the Infinity Engine as well. Um, which has been interesting in itself. And the I think the the other the more honorable mentions are probably mm -hmm. a, more of a test than some of the missions we've covered. But um I think yeah, I think it's a big compliment to uh yeah, to yeah. the Infinity Engine, uh, so to speak. So uh awesome. Um, Nick, thank you very much. Uh, thank you to our listeners, and uh, it's you've been listening to another episode of Lost Lieutenant. I've been your host Val. And... Oh, I guess that's why I say I've been Nick. <laughs> that's right, you've been Nick. I guess who else can you be? Uh, thank you, and good night. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>